Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that believes Pulitzer Prizes are nothing like podcasts, because every fucker's got one. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me are... James Hunt. And Amon Woman. Hey, Amon. Thanks for joining us. Um, how's it, how is it going? What's what's new in the world of Amon? <laughs> uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, I've just been uh, made a contributing editor at Empire Magazine, um, which is pretty pretty exciting. What? That's exciting! Congratulations. That's that's, that's pretty pretty enormous news. <laughs> yeah, got a, no, big news. Got a big big shot Empire editor on the podcast. Oh, stop! Don't you dare! Go. Um, what are we? The the Empire <laughs> podcast or something? <laughs> you should be so lucky. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and uh, I'm also getting a uh, a monthly column on black cinema uh, in every issue going forward, which is also really exciting. So so yeah, yeah. it's good. That is that is definitely very exciting. Um, do we do you give us a, a sneak preview any of the the stuff that you're you're planning to cover in that column? Well, the the first um, the first one which is coming out in the uh, new issue will will be on. Uh, Barry Jenkins directing a new Lion King movie. Um, when that news came to light, when that very surprising news came to light, uh, yeah. the rhetoric I saw on film Twitter was very negative. And, you know, to, to, just to tease it, I guess, you know, it, I think it's a sad day when we can't give a filmmaker like Barry Jenkins the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I go into more detail as to why I think this is a really interesting thing as opposed to something to get upset about. Um, so in, in, in each sort of column, I'll be tackling an issue uh, like that and then also recommending uh, one film uh, concerning sort of black cinema that everyone should have in their collection. Um, and I believe the first film that I've recommended uh, for the first column is Love and Basketball. Uh, which oh, is great movie! I, I absolutely love. So, so yeah. Yeah, I watched that for the first time last year. I'm on, and it completely caught me off guard because I kind of like just picked it up from Computer Exchange as like one of a <laughs> one of a stack of DVDs, and I and I think probably because it was like from producer Spike Lee, and I was like, oh, I've heard of that title. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know Spike Lee. I'll I'll give that a go, and was you know, uh, it charmed my socks off. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's Lovely a fantastic movie. movie. So, so yeah, I've been, you know, given sort of everything which has happened, I've been feeling in a very reflective mood of my journey, because uh, like nine years last month was the first review that I uh, published for a site called Yin and Yang, uh, which is now defunct. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a wild journey to to get to where I am now, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next decade or so will bring. It's very really cool. I just I just exciting. want to point out I have been made redundant and currently have no job. Um, if anyone's listening, feel free to get in touch. It's really killing the vibe, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, but congratulations. I bet it's great to have a paycheck. <laughs> Thank you, I think. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and listen, I just I just want to say we've we've been on the Amon train on this podcast for a long time. Just checking the feed. Uh, is is this right, Amon? We had you on for the first time for Deadpool? Or was it or did you come on before that? I think Can Deadpool you remember? was the first one. It was it was it's either Deadpool or Luke Cage. Um Oh yeah, that which were probably around a similar time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty six. No, it was Deadpool. It was Deadpool. Twenty six. Twenty sixteen for both of those. So you know, wow. you know <laughs> what, what, uh, what talent spotters we we are here. <laughs> Proud Clearly. to be a rung on the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I want. I think the I think the last time we had you on the podcast. Uh, or, or we spoke on the podcast was when you were part of um, various of the, uh, the the live commentaries that we did over the summer, uh, or kind of early on in lockdown. We talked through uh, most of the Avengers movies, um, not your favourite, <laughs> and, and you, you were also on a podcast with um, James and Seb and Dan Slott to talk um, uh, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, yeah. and... Um, and obviously, you know, since then, uh, Seb passed away, and um, I don't know. It, it I, I can imagine it's a strange thing for you to be returning to this podcast with, uh, you know, different different hosting lineup, and and for you know, I don't know. It, it must it must have felt to you like a, a bolt out of the blue, as it did to so many of us. Yeah, it was very very shocking. Um... And very, very upsetting, obviously. Uh, Seb was someone who I didn't know as well as I would have liked, but the interactions that we did have were always so fun. Um, and it's a testament not only to him, but to all of the, to, to you and to James uh, and the environment that this podcast fosters um, that I wanted to, you know, no matter sort of, what wrong in, the, in my ladder you guys are. I always want to sort of return. Um, well, let's uh, well, let's remind him on of that a couple of years from now when he's, I don't know, he's <laughs> taking over Mark Kermode's oh, show. I was going to say, when you're presenting the film programme on BBC, you can... Oh, you guys. Um, but I'm yeah. on, we really need you back to talk about Electra. Are you, are you free? <laughs> Oh man! Like, if you guys are relitigating Blade Two or Mask of the Phantasm, then you call me. But Electra, lose my number. Um, <laughs> um, but but yeah, I I remember because I I just saw on Twitter one day that you guys were doing these live streams of Avengers and what have you, 
and I I think I messaged James first, and then I messaged Seb. Can I can I jump on? And uh, you know, graciously he said yes, and those were a lot of fun. And I I, I always marvelled at Seb's ability to just recall stuff um, that was perfect for what the conversation was doing at the time. And he didn't he didn't have to sort of look it up or anything. He just knew. And I considered myself to be sort of fairly knowledgeable on comic book stuff, but it it, it was nothing compared to Seb. Um, and that was all that always impressed me. And I you know, I, t- I, I don't know if you would agree with this as well, Amon, but I I uh, w- when when I'm thinking back on those as well, and 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 you know watching you know the, the film that we're going to discuss today uh, is is one of these cases. I just felt like whenever Seb talked about something, what he also had an incredible memory for was his opinion of it. Like I, I find myself going back to things and kind of forget. Oh, why did I think that? What did I think <laughs> about that? How, how did I reach that? Like Seb, Seb knew what he thought about everything and whether it was good and whether it was bad and why. <laughs> and, and he yeah. could, he could, he could dig that out years after. Um, and I, and do you know what I think the reason is because he never because he never stopped talking about those things because he he was just he was constantly in that dialogue um, yeah. that he he didn't have to go like I do sometimes. Why did I? Why did I like that movie five years yeah. ago? Let me just Google it and see what I was saying. About it. <laughs> yeah, letterboxed. Yeah, no, I I I completely agree. And yeah, as as I said, just the, the environment that this podcast process I, I want to come back i want to engage with you guys because it's just so fun to talk with like-minded individuals who are passionate about this stuff and who know this stuff and you know i've, I've been listening to you know to some to some to i'll, I'll try again i've listened to you guys talk in the wake of its passing i've been i've been reading uh some of the tributes which people uh sort of have written about him and i know james that you know you say sometimes that he, he didn't know sort of whether or not that he, he was liked but you know i think when you do n- not only when you do good work for a long time but when you have the sort of personality that seb had mm-hmm. um that made you just you know want to not only listen to him but then to go out and uh, and find for yourself the things that he's talking about because he's talking about them with such passion um it makes it has a tangible effect on people's lives um Especially when you know, if you think about the podcast boom of the last few years or so, that is definitely one way in which uh, you know people can really, if if they do it well, can enrich others, even if they don't know about it. And Seb was one of the people who definitely did that in a really special way. Yeah, well, that's why we carried on going because we thought, you know, clearly, clearly, us getting together to talk about movies every couple of weeks is is improving people's lives in some way, if only because the reaction we saw. So. Absolutely, and, and hours, I think, and hours, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just nice to sit down with your friends and talk about nerdy shit. Because <laughs> I mean, really, it's 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 twenty twenty. Does it matter whether Superman Returns is good or not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Does it matter to me whether I thought Superman Returns was good or not, and whether my friends agree with me? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to get into this movie. <laughs> right, so that's that's probably a good point to uh, say that today we'll be discussing Brian Singer's 2006 movie, Superman Returns. But before any of that, we are going to have a quick chat about the things that we've been watching um, over the past week or so. Um, Amon, what what has been on your mind? What, what are you... Uh, 
what are you immersing yourself in from a pop culture perspective? Well, Supernatural, which is a show which I have been which I've been watching for years, is uh, so it's currently airing its final ever season. Oh, just saying those words makes me sad. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, I've been sort of catching up on some of the more recent episodes, and they're ending on a really strong note, which is really great to see. Uh, when this show does finally end, um, it will be the end of an era, and I'm glad that they're you know, really sort of aiming to, to go out on a high. Uh, I also recently just finished watch, or just, just finished rewatching uh, Burn Notice, which is a series I watched sort of very regularly when it was uh, sort of still airing. Um, and for whatever reason, I just felt a desire to revisit that show, uh, which is a very, very enjoyable show. Um, uh, it's about this guy's name, Michael Weston. He's a spy. Uh, and sort of he lost his job and, you know, for, for seven seasons, he's sort of, sort of trying to get his job back. Um, and, Sounds like you know, James. It's, it's a very simple concept, but it goes to some interesting places. So I've been really enjoying that as well. And I want to talk to me about Supernatural. How many, how many seasons has it gotten to? It's something absurd, isn't it? I think it's, this is currently season 15. Um, which, which for is... a for a live action show, and it's one of those it's one of those like twenty odd episodes a season jobs, isn't it? Right, yeah, right. That's yeah, no, rem- it's... it's remarkable. Um, it, I it really is. I, I remember in its in its infancy being like, uh, I I don't I think in my head like I saw it, like it was like that and the Vampire Diaries were like a little bit linked <laughs> in my head, and it was like. Okay, so that that one's got that guy from Lost in who was kind of hunky and handsome, and that one's got that guy from Gilmore Girls in who was kind of hunky and handsome. And I I always thought yeah, I mean, and by the way, I love Gilmore Girls. I watched every episode. I always thought Dean on that was a bit of a drip. But then I I understand that like basically everyone who gets into Supernatural just fucking loves it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the it's the brotherhood aspect of it, like brotherhood and family, fatherhood. That's long been my weak spot. It's one of the reasons why Coco is the movie which has you know most recently been the one that has just destroyed me. The last fifty minutes of that film, the way I was crying, whew, it was yeah. <laughs> and and mantas are hard to come by for me, but that film had me <laughs> bawling. Um, so so yeah, uh, that that that's the thing. More more than more than anything else, that's the thing that keeps me coming back. I've also just remembered that I have been rewatching bits and pieces of Raimi's Spider Man trilogy. Um, nice. And again, I don't I, I don't I don't know sort of you know what's what 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 inspired that, but there there's some things like you know I I I I, I like a lot of, I like a lot of aspects of the MCU Spidey. But there's some things that Raimi does in that trilogy which have still never been equaled. Um, and in particular, that train fight sequence in Spider-Man 2 is still, I think, top three super action sequence of all time. It's incredible. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I've been re-watching bits and pieces of that. And I just, you know, and this might seem like a small thing, and I, it's, it's going to come up also in our Superman Returns discussion. But just the elegance of web slinging in, in that movie compared to what we've gotten in MCU is just beautiful to watch. Like the final scene, the final swings in both Spider-Man and Spider-Man two with Danny Elfman's score, 
uh, backing it up is it's just really really cool to watch. I don't know, but um, but yeah, I've been, I've been watching that too. <laughs> it's very different tonally, isn't it? I think that they're you know because the I don't know the kind of the long. I remember when the when the new Spider Man game came out, it seemed like that that the the swinging through New York was gonna feel like the Raimi movies, but I, I, mm. I, I don't think it ultimately did because, because of tone. Um, and you're right. It's the, it's the score and it's, it's the, the feeling that, um, that Raimi wants you to get from that. I think is, is like, I, I think all, almost all the other depictions of the web singing have been, this just needs to look really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I, I, I like for, for, uh, for the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker, it feels like more of a more of an escape and more of a like a yes that like the the world expanding. Yeah, yeah. It feels like his 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 natural expression of his fullest self, um, in many respects, and I I completely love that. Um, I think what may have inspired it is that I'm extremely hyped to play the Miles Morales game, which, um, and I'm sort of getting back into my Spidey content. I've been replaying the Spider-Man game just to refresh my skills. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that that may have inspired it, but I've been enjoying that too. Excellent, um, James. I'm going to go first this time because um, I've, <laughs> go I've, I think I've been I've been going last the couple of times and last <laughs> couple of times, and I feel like that's an excuse for me to bang on for longer than I should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if if you listen to our Hulk episode, you know I've been watching a lot of Adam Sandler. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into Sandler again and bore you all, but just to let Thank you know, you. <laughs> I've got, um, I, th- this week we've reached, well, we've got as far as click in the rewatch now. So that's, that's where, where we're at there. I like that movie. It's, it's interesting. I, what I will say I'm on is I think that, um, Sandler's career is interesting in that the first batch of it is here is an Adam Sandler character. Let's look at how what zany comedic stuff Sandler can do with the character. And the second phase of his career is we've got a script with an idea and let's just put Sandler in the lead role and see what happens. And <laughs> that's kind of like... Let's have him do his thing where he gets really angry very quickly. <laughs> or, or, in the case of anger management, really slowly get angry. Let's make that the tension <laughs> of the entire movie. When will he When will he finally get angry? Um, but no, I, yeah, I watched Click, uh, The Longest Yard and Fifty First Dates. Uh, this week which were all like uh or this last week or so which were all like very concepts driven movies which couldn't be kind of further away from happy gilmore waterboy billy madison kind of sandler but i digress um i think <laughs> i think what i'd like to talk about um is a hard day's night which um i don't know if it still is but was on the iplayer in the uk um and i've been getting more and more into the beatles in this past uh well, I, not that not that I haven't been before, but I think more interested in like uh, getting beyond these are songs that I like and starting to dive into the albums a little bit more. Um, Michael Leader, who's a, a you know former and future guest on this podcast, um, is uh, really heavily into the Beatles, and I was kind of inspired by his passion. And also, I went through a bit of a a project during lockdown of listening to the, I think I got like about 30 albums through it. Uh, Pitchfork's uh, greatest albums of the 1960s. Sure. I kind of listened to them all start to finish and um, listening to Beatles albums in, in isolation was not something I'd really done before. So I got, uh, I kind of got 
super into those. Got a, got a couple of uh, of their records on vinyl for my birthday, um, and I had been thinking like, oh, I'd quite like to watch the movies, but they're not all very readily available. Um, some some of them are only available to either buy through streaming or you've got to hunt down the discs. Um, and so a hard day's night pops up on um, on iPlayer, and I was like, oh. I'm interested. I'm ge- I'm gonna mm-hmm. watch this like kind of hugely influential movie from the sixties that um that that I think probably you know fifty sixty years on kind of seems like a bit of a parody. I'd also watched um I want to hold your hand the Robert Zemeckis Beatlemania movie a couple of weeks ago. So I, okay. I was kind of like. I was I was in a good place for this, and uh, <laughs> for me, I, I and I would I would recommend a hard day's night more as it's it's something really interesting to watch. A for into the Beatles, B if you just kind of want a glimpse into these people who I think have become kind of like um, ideas and icons more than actual people, and seeing seeing kind of like how that formed. Uh, a at a what what a thing Beatlemania was, but B the fact that back then there wasn't really an outlet to get to know these people. And I kind of felt like I was discovering the band the same way people would have done back in the sixties. Um, because I don't, I don't really know the Beatles as people, uh, George and, um, John are kind of, you know, kind of frozen in history as these, these ideas of people. Um, because of you know all of the kind of legends and stories you hear about the Beatles and the various fallings out and their their solo stuff that they did afterwards, um, and I, I guess I've ne- never really thought about who they were beyond that. Paul McCartney has, I think, it, it's difficult to look at Paul McCartney in twenty twenty and and really like be able to vividly imagine this guy was the was kind of the main heartthrob of a band full of heartthrobs in the 1960s. Um, and similarly, you know, Ring- and for me, Ringo Starr is Roger Moore's neighbour. That's that's like, and the voice of Thomas the Tank Engine. So it was really interesting kind of watching this movie that, that kind of gives you a glimpse at them, but also is kind of constructing the narrative of who they are going to be for for their legions of fans. So that like establishing that character of, McCartney as the cheeky charmer and Lennon as the like sardonic, um, maybe slightly more cerebral uh, one who's a little bit on the wind up. Um, Harrison as as the one with a, a little bit more of an edge, um, and kind of a little bit more aligned to to John as well. And then Ringo Starr is just this like really affable, like just, I'm just a nice guy who just wants to be everyone's friend. And that's, and and, yeah. And and it's, and it's, I I don't know. It was fascinating to me to see like this formation of these ideas of people and wondering how much they actually reflected who they really were, especially at that point in the band's history where they're still kind of, they're not making the most challenging music compared to what they will do. They're making kind of these, these really boppy pop songs. Uh, they haven't had all of the clashes that they're set to have, but they're also they also haven't gone down all of the really interesting avenues that they're going to. Um, and then seeing this, you know, this this movie that um, 
it, it kind of feels like it, it semi invents the music video as well <laughs> um, mm-hmm. as it goes along and is and is it is you know set to all of these incredible memorable pop songs um and then and then bizarrely has um <laughs> a, a running riff uh with uh wilfred bramble playing uh who who is known as uh from steptoe and son playing paul's fictional granddad who's this kind of just um mischievous old scouser who uh is is continually getting all of them into trouble um so if that's if that's still on the iplayer i would encourage you to um seek it out it's a lot of fun i wish i could say i was interested (laughs) (laughs) that's okay james you don't have to be but but know that when i do eventually track down help and yellow submarine and whatever the other ones are i can't remember off the top of my head um that what that i'll be discussing them again because um (laughs) turns out i find the beatles very interesting (laughs) because (laughs) because i'm a white british man in his 30s (laughs) that's my excuse (laughs) you there's there's too much other nerdy stuff in your head james i think (laughs) i don't know i've always felt a bit iconoclastic about the beatles I'm just like, yeah, they were cool in their time, but I don't, I don't know. They didn't feel relevant yeah. to me and continue to not feel that way. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, not a Beatles fan, but I'm just indifference to the wrong word. But I, I, I haven't listened to much of their music that way. Um, I, 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 I think that the, that this is, this would probably be an interesting watch either way. And certainly, I would say if you get an opportunity to see, I want to hold your hand, um, which kind of is a you know a fictional movie, but only set like un- only filmed like a, a a decade out from the height of Beatlemania. There are really interesting tandem of movies to watch to kind of understand uh, this this kind of enormous cultural moment in the nineteen sixties because it, it's not it's not just this band turning up and. And being a big deal, it's kind of this. It's kind of this original, as as far as I can tell, like generational split. It's like this this huge moment in you know during during the time when teenagers are just becoming a thing. The concept of being a teenager um, that that it does feel like this huge cultural rift that opens up uh, in in pop culture. Uh, around around the 1960s so that that i find really interesting as well anyway no one wants to hear any more of me banging on about the beatles james what have you been watching (laughs) yeah let's get away from the 1960s and talk about star trek (laughs) 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 it's been Uh, a banner year for star trek as a star trek nerd i've been having such a good time that no fewer than three star trek series have been on i really like the card which not everyone did but um, I've just finished watching Lower Decks, um, which is the it's the comedy cartoon Star Trek from one of the writers of Rick and Morty. Um, which it which on its surface sounds like something that could be fucking awful. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and I say that as someone who likes Rick and Morty, but kind of going... Do you know where this style of humor would would play really well? Star Trek, because we can kind of <laughs> we can kind of make fun of it, can't we? <laughs> but I guess I guess that Rick and Morty kind of starts off it broadly as a Back to the Future 
pastiche yeah very well, very broadly in, in its kind of conception <laughs> the thing about rick and morty is that it does at, at its heart it does have good sci-fi stories and then it yes. like makes fun of the tropes and the you know iconography of it and lower decks is doing that for star trek in a slightly less vulgar way but still in a very entertaining way and like it it starts off being sort of self-referential and kind of doing the obvious jokes like yeah you know transporters messed up my phaser was set to kill not stun stuff like that um but it you know it gets a bit deeper as the characters develop and there was a sort of in the middle there was a bit of a slump where i was like i'm not sure this is going anywhere and then towards the end like i think the last four episodes are so strong um there's one where the crew like the the concept is it's the like the grunts on a starship so it's like the the new graduates from starfleet academy like all the ensigns and the the kind of work they have to do while the officers go off and have all the really big adventures and important missions and stuff um but there's one episode which is it's them uh making a movie on the holodeck and so they make a star trek movie where they cast themselves as the leads <laughs> and it it like the whole episode when they're in the movie it goes into like letterbox format and they have like it references all the these little in jokes and stuff from the movies like it reuses footage and like the ship gets destroyed and they have a fight on a gantry and you know it's it's clearly a labor of love for star trek fans but it also works on its own terms and i won't spoil the finale but the finale is as good a star trek finale as i've ever seen um wow. that's that's a big statement it is just i was sitting there like there was a bit where i properly like punched the air like <laughs> this is so awesome i was having such a good time with it um are you a and... are you a star trek fan amon um not a big one like i i enjoy the movies uh the recent movies um but i'm not like uh i wouldn't call myself a trekkie i haven't watched all the uh sort of other films like i think i think i watched the wrath of khan because i had to um, <laughs> uh but, the, the, uh, yeah, the, sec- of... the second best star trek movie so you say um but but yeah i i i i've enjoyed the chris pine movies uh a lot um i i i'm actually i'm actually that guy who didn't think star trek into darkness was that bad but i'm aware that that is a very uh sort of you know that's <laughs> not also not a good opinion but it's a very you know it's opinion which is against the grain shall we say um so <laughs> that is an so, opinion yeah. yeah yeah um so yeah there you go okay and and james what's uh, i i assume number three is gonna be discovery being star trek discovery yeah which just restarted last week um again a proper the opening episode was just movie quality stuff like you could not be you could not want any more out of star trek than it is giving you at the moment like, if you want the sort of TNG-era comedy take, you've got that. If you want the the return of your old favourites, you've got Picard. And if you want, like, new, interesting, ideas-driven sci-fi, you've got Discovery. Like, there's just nothing more you can ask out of a franchise. 
I would I would say that the the most frustrating thing from my point of view is uh, that in the UK they're all over the place, right? Or we're, we're yeah. waiting for broadcasters. Lower is not, shall we say, strictly available in the UK. Yet. Um, yet. <laughs> Some uh, of it has been made. It was the I think was the pilot made available online? I think. Uh, I possibly, know. yeah. Let's say yes. And then Discovery's on Netflix, right? And then Picard was on Amazon Prime. Yeah. It feels a bit messy, and uh, I don't know. That's uh, it's just just frustrating. As a, it would as be a nice fan. if there was a way to just watch the whole lot. Yeah, that's that is although for sure. I think it's you know for uh, I'm certainly not as big a Trekkie as you. I like Star Trek. I, I like the original series. I like the original series movies. Um, I like one and a half of the chris pine movies <laughs> um and um but I, I remembered like in the middle of those in the middle of the, the the new batch of movies thinking surely this is the perfect time to bring star trek back to tv because there's clearly stories to be told there's clearly enthusiasm for the franchise but it feels like only telling the blockbuster size of stories isn't isn't a natural fit with Star Trek. Like, yeah, you can do, I think, you I think can the natural do home those. of Star Trek is, is on TV, to be honest. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm not sure that I would have said, like, if I'd, have, if I'd have been picking out the shows that they should make or were going to make, I'm not sure I'd have picked out these three that we just talked about, like, from the concepts of any of them. But, you know, from what I've seen of Discovery... Um, which again is like one and a half seasons. I've really enjoyed that. Um, and and they're doing the uh, they're doing the Captain Pike spinoff, right? Strange New Worlds, yeah. Uh, apparently, um, you know, if it survives, everything's the... up in the air because of COVID. But yeah, the the plan is for them to do a series which features the original, not the original crew, features the original crew of the Enterprise, like pre pre Kirk. Yeah, um, which I think spotted. probably probably is one of the ideas that I would have gone oh I bet that I bet that could work um pre pre this relaunch but you know fair play everything seems to be working to an extent um like you say I think you might be minority on Picard but I don't know if I'm the minority I think people just had more frustrations with it right but then it was returning characters so people had more expectations yeah people people wanted it to be TNG and it wasn't like there there's always the thing of like you can't you can't please people who are expecting to see the thing they loved when they were kids or like the thing they loved when they were younger because you know you you rewatch TNG are you, are, you, and... are you trying to do a seamless segue in Superman Returns I can't tell <laughs> <laughs> no I just like people people forget that you know they criticize Picard for being stupid or Discovery for having unbelievable science and then you go and watch TNG and you're like well this is all nonsense like people, people give things a pass because they were younger and their expectations mm. were lower. Um, I think Picard's, you know, it's got its problems, but I, I really enjoyed it and got a kick out of seeing those characters back. Excellent. Uh, so we've done some Star Trek, we've done some Beatles, um, and we've done some long-running TV. Uh, so that's what we've been watching uh, in the past few weeks. We will move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of Brian Singer's 2006 movie, Superman Returns. 
Uh, but before any of that, let's listen to a trailer for the movie. You've been gone a long time. Where did you go? You have great power. Even though you've been raised as a human being, you are not one of them. It's not easy for me to live my life being who I am, keeping secrets. I see you've already met the munchkin. Hello. Yeah, well, you've been gone. Fearless reporter Lois Lane is a mommy. But if you ask me, she's still in love with you know who. How could you leave us like that? I moved on. So did the rest of us. The world doesn't need a savior. And neither do I. This is kind of a little reunion, isn't it? Heck, I'm a fan. I'll have advanced technology. Thousands of years beyond what anyone could throw at me. But millions of people will die. Billions! You wrote that the world doesn't need a savior. But every day I hear people crying for one. Come on, let me hear you say it just once. You're insane. No! <laughs> no, it was the other thing. Superman will Wrong! Bring it on! Now fly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, guys, I do want to talk about Superman returning, uh, but I would like to... I would like to, before we actually get into the movie itself, talk about the history of how Superman Returns actually came to be and all of the movies that kind of nearly materialised in the in the 10-15 years leading up to it. Because I just think that this is wild. So obviously the last Superman movie that was covered on this, on this podcast was uh, Quest for Peace, Superman 4, which kind of had tanked so, so badly. Um, and was kind of a bit of a laughing stock, and the the franchise is dead at that point. Um, I think there was there was various attempts to get more Superman off the ground. I know Christopher Reeve was passionate, um, and there was a Superboy TV show. Um, but the Salkins who owned the rights, um, who we talked about extensively in those early Superman episodes eventually sold the rights to Warner Brothers in 1993 and Warner Brothers kind of straight away uh you know being being the home of Batman and and being you know and being the corporate owner of DC Comics is kind of like right Superman's home we are going to make a movie because this is a no-brainer we've 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 got a successful Batman franchise that's making us a hell of a lot of movie uh, a hell of a lot of money and they put a full page ad in variety saying Superman's back coming soon and now 1993 is also interesting because 1993 is also the year that Lois and Clark debut, debuts on TV. So Superman, you know, starts enters the public consciousness again there. Um, and also, James, as you'll be aware, it's the year that the death of Superman is published <laughs> and becomes this mega, mega event. Um, and that's, uh, and, and again, James, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of like the height of the comics boom, isn't it? In terms of like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Comics being worth a shitload of money and special covers and... Yep, the speculator boom, it was called. The The death of Superman was shipped in a in a black bag which contained an arm, uh, like a wristband. No, an armband, sorry, to, you know, <laughs> signify that you're in mourning for Superman. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is intense. Um, but Warner Brothers kind of glommed on to the fact that this was a huge thing. We're like, right, we're going to make this movie. And they bring in John Peters to produce. Um, now, John Peters is uh, notorious because of being a producer on this franchise because of the Kevin Smith story. Um, Kevin Smith sto- has told this story a load of times about all of the clashes he had with John Peters on Superman and how he became intent on Superman fighting a giant spider in the third act of the movie. Um, and eventually Kevin Smith's punchline to that joke is he turns up to watch Wild Wild West years later and there is Will <laughs> Smith in the third act fighting a giant mechanical spider. Um, so, But John Peters is kind of this nutty guy in, in Hollywood who some people claim is functionally illiterate. He was a hairdresser at the start of his career. He's the subject of a very interest, well, one of the subjects of a very interesting episode of You Must Remember This, the Karina Longworth podcast, uh, because he was Barbara Streisand's um, hairdresser and then uh, got into a relationship with her, ended up producing A Star Is Born, which despite, I, I believe anyway, that version of A Star Is Born being a bit of a mess um, and intensely boring, 
Um, it was was uh, was successful, and Peters kind of had a Hollywood career where he he ended up producing a few hit movies, culminating in him producing Batman in 1989 um, with Tim Burton. So John Peters gets brought onto this project, and um, it, after having a, a dodgy period leading Sony Pictures, almost running it into the ground, still gets handed Superman, and they go, right, okay, John Peters, this is yours to to roll with. Um, and John Peters stays on this project from 93 through to uh, Brian Singer's movie in 2006. Um, and he goes, right, well, we, we're going to keep, we're going to keep the death of superman that's the that's the thing that people care about with superman right now and that needs to be this story so the the scripts that is originally written they bring in a guy called jonathan lemkin who writes a script where superman dies at the start of the movie as he is dying he immaculately there is an immaculate conception where his spirit enters lois lane's body and lois lane gives birth to superman's son who during the course of the movie ages 21 years in three weeks and ends up defeating, uh, I think it's Doomsday in that version because Doomsday had killed Superman at the start of the movie. And so essentially your Superman movie, your hero, your hero is the three week old spawn of Superman that was immaculately conceived by, with his spirit. Um, And weirdly (laughs) that, that script ends up being nixed because despite all of that, um, it is deemed to be too thematically similar to Batman Forever. So, Jesus. <laughs> who, who knows how that worked out? So then wow. they bring on um, a screenwriter called Greg, Gregory uh, Poirier, I believe it is, who works on Rosewood. He has a script which um, incorporates Brainiac and Doomsday, uh, where Superman is eventually reborn in that movie, uh, but he comes back without his powers. He is so he has to don like a metal suit to be able to fight Doomsday. Um, he also has a black suit, and now famously, John Peters was uh, intent that Superman flying in the original movies always looked stupid, so he wasn't going to have Superman flying, and he wanted him in a black rubber suit like Batman. Um, and that's when Warner Brothers brings in Kevin Smith to talk about um, chasing Amy, and he's just come off Mall Rats and like, oh, you're a comics dude. We've got this Superman script. Will you read it? And Kevin Smith reads it and goes, "This is shit. This is this is not Superman. Um, <laughs> but I'll I'll write it for you if you want a version." So that's where that we then get to Superman Lives, which is the Kevin Smith version, which I think is probably the best known of all of these projects. It's definitely floating around online that script. Yeah, and and there's the Death of Superman Lives, the documentary, which I you know is is readily available for people to watch. Uh, which which tells that entire story and Kevin Smith has smoke, spoken on it a bunch of times. <laughs> smoking um, on it is probably more right. Yeah, so it's, it's probably very accurate. Um, so in that version, uh, they, they still keep the idea of the death of, death of Superman. Um, they bring in uh, Brainiac, uh, Brainiac is retained um, and this is where the giant spider idea enters. But basically the plot of this movie is that Lex brings, Lex Luthor brings Brainiac to earth to block the sun's rays, which depowers Superman and allows Doomsday to kill him. Um, Apparently Kevin Smith was, it was very comics literate. There is um, the first fight in the movie is uh, Superman taking down Deadshot and a lot of Deadshot's goons. Um, And, and at the the funeral scene in the movie, Batman gives a eulogy. Um, (laughs) 
this is the version that eventually gets on um, Tim Burton to direct and Nicolas Cage to uh, star. Um, which, you know, both seem like odd fits for the character, but the studio were very interested. They start to sound out Kevin Spacey to potentially play Lex Luthor. Um, and this is in 1997. Um, and it goes through a bunch of production. And Tim Burton says, look, I, I, I made that movie. I just didn't get around to filming it. Says it was basically there, but then the studio pulled the plug. Uh, that version apparently when so Burton also had Kevin Smith's script rewrote um it is it was described in one book that I read um as E.T. Scissorhands uh, that it was very uh interested in the idea of Superman as an outsider on earth this alien who um who kind of didn't really belong uh belong on earth very emo um and that the Clark Kent Superman dichotomy becomes a Clark Kent Kal-El Superman character split where Kal-El is this kind of weird persona that Superman also takes on during the movie um and it was it was very built around the toys that John Peters wanted the the film's merchandise to to dial up apparently like literally the the budget on that version of the film was being advanced based on agreements with toy companies like the toy companies would go okay yeah we'll we'll agree to invest five million more if you agree that in one scene superman's gonna have a, a jetpack or something <laughs> or, you know that wow. that that kind of thing um <laughs> tim burton had signed a five million pay or play contract and nick cage had signed a 20 million dollar pay or play contract which when the film was put into turnaround in, in 1999 they both got paid so Nick Cage got paid twenty million for never playing Superman, um, and and basically the reason right for some the reason it got turned around is the budget was really big because to incorporate all of these scenes with all of these different characters and set pieces that pieces wanted to appease the toy toy companies, the the the, the script was just an expensive one to film. Um, you know, by that point, Lois and Clark had been cancelled. Warner Brothers had had a couple of high-profile flops, and they just said we can't pay for this anymore. So it gets to, it gets put into turnaround. The big advance where this starts to kick on again is in two thousand and two. So there have been attempts to keep going with the Death of Superman idea since then, um, but in two thousand and two, they bring on J.J. Abrams for a script that was very nearly made and was uh, was going to be called Superman Flyby. So J.J. Abrams kind of got a bit of a remit to start from scratch, but at the same time, Warner Brothers were developing this Batman v Superman movie. I'm not sure if you remember this. There was going to be a <laughs> Batman v Superman movie directed by Wolfgang Peterson. And that that movie was very much liked by the studio. It was seen as, an, as a way that they could revive both franchises at once. It was going to be Superman and Batman are kind of best mates. Uh, they've been fighting crime throughout all their careers, but now Batman has retired and Superman is thinking about settling down in Smallville. Um, the Joker, uh, Batman has retired because Robin has died. And then the Joker, after being saved from a beating by Superman, um, murders Batman's wife. And that sends Batman nuts and he decides that he's going to murder the Joker and... Superman and Batman clash over Batman turning to murder, essentially. Um, that film was really well liked in the studio, but J.J. Abrams had his version. 
And Superman Flyby sounds nuts. This um, this was a script where Superman was defeated by a Kryptonian named Tizor at the start of the movie, laying waste to lots of major cities across America during the fight between them. The movie then flashes back to uh, to kind of Superman's origin on Krypton, where Krypton, where Superman is sent from Krypton during a big fight between Jor-El and his brother, but Krypton is not destroyed. Uh, Clark then grows up on Earth having no idea, you know, he's not been sent learning all of uh, Jor-El's, um, you know, his history and getting all of, you know, having the Fortress of Solitude and knowing all of that stuff. He just thinks he's this weird outsider on Earth. Um, he eventually reveals himself in his late 20s by saving Air Force One, which I think is interesting given the the kind of the big re-emergence of Superman in, in Superman Returns. Um, and then is... But when he reveals himself, he's arrested by a CIA agent known uh, by the name of Lex Luthor, because in this movie, he's a CIA agent who investigates UFOs. Um, Then we kind of cut back to the start where there's the big fight with this Kryptonian. Superman is killed, uh, but he communes with his two fathers, Jor-El and and Papa Kent in the afterlife um, and is, is, is kind of urged into rebirth. Um defeats this Tizor guy, at which point Lex Luthor is revealed to also be a Kryptonian, and they have a big fight, and at the end of the movie, Superman flies off out of the Earth, back to Krypton, to kind of, now that he knows where he's from, to potentially save his planet. (laughs) Which, that sounds crazy, right? (laughs) That's like completely throwing out all of the Superman lore. Um, but that was that was the J.J. Abrams version, and the studio is really split. Where were they going to make Flyby or Batman v Superman? And they <laughs> sounds like a real Sophia's choice that one. <laughs> but at the time, it's two that they're like, God, we're really on board with both of these. <laughs> but both of these sound amazing. Um, and eventually, Flyby wins the battle. Um, because they consulted again the toy companies and the marketing department and it was decided that, especially after by this point Spider-Man had been a big success, that probably a lighter, more enjoyable, uh, uh, which is what Flyby was perceived to be, (laughs) a more hopeful movie than the Will Batman Murder the Joker movie um, was the the route (laughs) they should be going down. (laughs) So... McGee, who had been rumoured to direct... McGee! Uh, after, oh my god. After, and then, So McGee had first been rumoured when Tim Burton left in the late 90s. Um, McGee is then hired to direct the, um, the flyby script. They set up production to take place in Sydney, and McGee drops out because he refuses to fly to Sydney because he has an intense fear of flying. <laughs> Which, <laughs> for a movie called Flyby starring Superman... <laughs> Pretty ironic. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. Um, McGee leaves the project and Brett Ratner is hired to direct the J.J. Abrams <laughs> script. Brett Ratner hires Anthony Hopkins to play Jor-El, uh, who he'd worked with on Red Dragon. Uh, but then he ends up quitting the production because he thinks the budget is too small to realise everything that Abrams had in his script. So the, the project now, even though... Warner Brothers is kind of up for it. John Peters is up for it. Everyone's kind of like, we like this script. We want to get it made. But it's struggling to get over the line because all of this director trouble. And it's at that point that Brian Singer, who is directing the X-Men movies, which are produced by Lauren Shuler Donner, 
husband of Richard Donner, who directed Superman. Uh, they, they, he goes, oh, do you know what? I'd love to make a Superman movie. If I was doing it, here's what I'd do. I'd forget all of this death of Superman stuff. I'd just kind of set it as a sequel to your movies, Richard. Like, doesn't, doesn't that sound great? That like, it, it's been a long time since we've seen those movies. What if the character had gone away at the end of Superman 2 and now he's back and we kind of just set a movie in that world? And Lauren Shuler Donner's like, that's interesting. I'll talk to someone. She talks to someone. Eventually the pitch finds its way to John Peters and Warner Brothers is convinced. Well, if we've got a director who's also going to write the screenplay and we've got another producer, you know, we've got the blessing of a lot of people and actually this sounds like it might be a little bit more straightforward than that kind of quite difficult to film J.J. Abrams version and it's Brian Singer who's just had a huge amount of success on the X-Men movies right let's let's get that one made and it's one of those stories I feel like I'm Simon Brew here um it's one of those <laughs> stories that you once like you've had all of these different versions of the movie you know which many of which might have been bad. It sounds like there was some interesting stuff in there along the way, but Singer's version gets made because he, which ironically more than a decade on after the Bohemian Rhapsody debacle, because he's the guy that can just sit down and make the movie who can cast a Superman, who can, who who can write the scripts, who can get it all into production and make the thing. That it was as simple as that in the end. <laughs> and this is how we get to, in 2006, Superman Returns, which I think at the time was considered a, kind of a critical success, just about. I think people broadly liked it. Um, but it was considered a bit of a a bit of a disappointment at the box office because this is Superman. This is one of the big guns of comic books. And you know, one of the most famous famous characters, full stop, one of the most famous fictional characters alongside Mickey Mouse and Jesus. And and, and the movie made, a hundred, I think it made about... 391 million worldwide. There you go, 391 million worldwide, which I think was significantly less than the X-Men movies were making. But interestingly, domestically in the US, and I'm not sure how it stats at worldwide, it only made five million dollars less than Batman Begins, which was released the previous year in in the US. And what I think is really interesting is in the decade that has passed, as I say, if you made similar box office to Batman Begins, there's potential there. And critically, I feel like things have turned around on Superman Returns that no one really looks back on it too fondly. It was it's kind of like ah. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember that movie. It kind of did. Did it kind of not work? Kind of didn't work, did it? And I and this is the point where I open the floor and say thank you for indulging my nonsense. Um, <laughs> what do you guys think of this movie? Does it work? Huh. <laughs> this is a this is a fascinating mess of a movie. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of things about it which do work. I actually still think as as a whole. I think it's probably the third best Superman movie after Superman 1 and Superman 2. Ooh, um, do I agree? But... Maybe. It, you know, there's... The aspects of it... The aspects of it which don't work are kind of glaring. And 
almost, almost sink the movie. But I think there's enough about it that the core concept of Superman works in this movie. Um, and if you at least get that right, it's hard for, um, for, for the other aspects of the movie to completely drag it down. Like, I think this is an aggressive three-star movie. Um, mm. I still, uh, you know, as, as we always like to say on the Empire podcast, three stars is a recommendation. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. But, you know, having, ha- having rewatched it for the pod, there's still a lot, a lot about Superman and about the Superman's world, which this film gets right. Um, and I think the reputation it's garnered in the years since is maybe a little overly harsh. That three star thing is interesting because I think it's three stars as well. But for me, when whenever I whenever I see a three star review, I'm like, okay, but what what type of three star review is it? Is it just this movie is solid down the middle? It's kind of like it. It's a base hit, right? Or is it actually? God, this movie is a mess of things that that don't really work. But I'm kind of going to give it free for the stuff that does work. It's kind of like it's... that's bad, but that's good. So we'll kind of level off at a three. <laughs> yeah, it's de- it's definitely the latter for me. Um, but this, again, the stuff which really works, and we'll, we'll get into it in detail, I'm sure. Um, really, really works. And I just think about the Superman content we've gotten since this, and again we take it for granted in this movie that the people behind it understood the core of Superman in a way that the people behind Man of Steel and Batman v Superman in my, in my mind did not. Um, and there's one sort of note, which I you know wrote down here, um, which is that the statue, which they build of Superman in the Snyderverse, the people in this movie it would actually make sense that the people in this movie built that statue far more than it would make sense that the people in the Snyderverse built it. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, there's one, that... there's one scene. There's, I mean, there's a lot of scenes in this movie of kind of random extras kind of standing back jaw to the floor, looking at Superman, just like, Oh shit. Um, but the, the one that I really like is, is after he's, he, it's a couple of days after he's, I think it's after he's just uh, been and seen Lois and then he just he just casually it's not it's not there for any kind of real plot driving reasons he kind of flies low down on Metropolis Street and you just see kind of people slowly noticing him and kind of turning their head and going like huh like it's like it's not it's like a oh wow that's it, like like they're looking at a sunset and I, and I mm. thought that was I thought that was I think that's probably my favorite moment in the movie. Um, James. So I had a really interesting experience rewatching the movie. I think like the bits, the big beats that I remember, like the, the weirdness of having this kid turn out to be Superman's son and how Lois is with someone and you're supposed to be sort of rooting for her and Superman, but actually you're like, well, this guy seems fine actually. Um, you know, the just the strangeness of Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. Mm. Like, that's the stuff I remember. But when I was watching it, I really, I felt like, oh, oh, it's it's Superman. And this is what Superman feels like. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I do agree with that. The the lightness of the film and the the sort of you know the hopeful tone of it generally, and the yes, the lack of anger and violence in the movie, and I just sort of think, oh, this is what a Superman movie should be like. This this feels more like the kind of film that I wanted. I wanted you know more recent Superman movies to be and. At the time, I don't think I really appreciated that. I just thought, like, why has someone made a fan fiction sequel to Superman 1 and 2? It just it didn't work for me. But looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish they hadn't interpreted the failure of this movie as people don't want to see a nice, good time movie, which is, I think, what happened. Because, you know, yeah. much like what happened in the 80s with comics is, like, a sort of grim take on Batman got really popular and everyone went, okay, grim superheroes, is it then? Fair enough. Here's Batman v Superman. So I think yeah. what no, I, I agree, what I agree with there is this is what I want a Superman movie to feel like. I don't mm-hmm. think this is what I want a Superman movie to be like because it's I not think the, the story re- I want that's for sure. I think the reason yeah. it feels like a Superman movie is because it is it is trading so so heavily in nostalgia. Like from the from the Brandon Ralph casting where Brandon Ralph is asked to do Christopher Reeve. <laughs> Um, and it's why it's why I think this movie feels weird. Okay, so it's it's functionally a sequel to Superman one and two, which okay, fine. I think makes sense that that's that's the most it allows it it has the least impediments to making a sequel to one of the you know the original Superman. Just movies, uh, just you... quickly, actually, is this the first time someone made a movie that disregarded previous sequels? I can't imagine that's true. <laughs> I can't I, think of any yeah, other examples. I, I, would, I would need to do to consult the internet on that. <laughs> um, but 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 you may very well be right. But you, so it, I I find it odd that they're so they're so you know like it's right it's a sequel to those first two movies. We want it to feel like those movies. We're gonna give you the opening sequence. We're gonna use the John Williams score. We're gonna have you know. Brandon Ralph doing Christopher Reeve. And then at other turns, there are other characters who feel so fundamentally removed. Like, uh, like this Perry White does not feel like the Jackie Cooper Perry White. And I, I don't know whether it's performance or script, but this Lois Lane doesn't feel like the Margot Kidder Lois Lane. I think it is definitely performance. <laughs> but then and but then there are there are other bits where I'm just like <sighs> Or, or did you just, or like, is it that you're wanting some elements to feel different, or is it that you 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 don't fully, you just haven't fully been able to translate them? Because the 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 Lex Luthor of this movie doesn't feel like Gene Hackman in any way. It feels like, all right, well, when it comes to Lex, I'm just going to let Kevin Spacey do Kevin Spacey mm. because it doesn't it it doesn't have. And I think you have to look at the first Superman more than the second one for for what Gene Hackman's Lex was, but it doesn't have the same kind of lightness of touch. And part of that might be coloured by it's very, very difficult to watch Spacey now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially in this kind of shit-eating villain role. It, it's, it's tough. But, you know, it kind of, it feels like... It feels like that may why maybe the movie feels like a good Superman movie is because it is 
evoking that feeling of nostalgia and with the score and with its outlook on Superman, which I agree with you. I think it's... I don't know at the time. I like. I do think probably at the time I would have taken for granted, but now having seen different <laughs> takes on that, I, yeah. I appreciate more. Um, but I've then... Said, is it, go ahead. So I was, just to, to finish that point, I think... Does it? Does it just feel? Does it feel like all of those things? Does it feel like a movie that I don't mind sitting down and watching watching for two and a half hours, but I come away from going, but what is the what is the point beyond that? What have you said about Superman? What uh, did you have an interesting story to tell other than oh, he returned? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of the main things that the movie was trying to achieve at the time, because I think it's important to note this is this is in the post 9-11 world that this Superman is returning to, and not mm. only is the was the world of the movie more cynical, but the world at, world at large is more cynical. So it was very much trying to prove that there is still a place for Superman on screen and in this world, and I do think it manages to achieve that. Just as a... um addendum to uh, to what James was saying I said for years that the perfect movie the perfect Superman movie exists somewhere between Superman Returns and Man of Steel um, because you want the feeling that Superman Returns give you uh, Superman Returns gives you but the maybe not the action but the y- you do want Superman to hit something every once in a while <laughs> the spectacle um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Man is still, you know, obviously it goes way overboard in that, um, but it does give you that. Um, so I've said that, but you know, as I say, hey, you know, I'm on. Maybe what you wanted was Superman flyby because apparently, <laughs> a lot. Uh, what the the big threat that arrives in that movie is like three Kryptonians. Tizor arrives down, and it basically sounds like Snyder took the Tizor stuff and just went, "Well, he's Zod. He's not Tizor." He's, he comes down, he shoots shit up. I mean, like, the CIA Lex Luthor uh, kind of sounds a little bit, until the villain is CERN, sounds a little bit like Harry Dean Lennox in Man of Steel. Like, there, are, mm-hmm. I think I think there's parallels. And what I think, why I wanted to talk about this, that stuff at the start, I think little bits of each of those movies kind of went through. Because whilst this movie doesn't have the death of Superman, it is... It's its concept is Superman is gone at the start and he comes back and he kind of needs to. It's like you said, it's this meta narrative of the the you know the Lois Lane Pulitzer Prize winning article in the movie is why the world doesn't need Superman and she gets to the end of the movie and goes why the world needs Superman, and I think that the question that the movie is attempting to answer is why the world need, does the world need Superman, and I think it answers it on a meta textual level. As you are saying, I'm not sure it answers it in its in in kind of an ideological within the movie level. I don't because I never yeah. really get a sense of the world. All I get a sense of is does Lois Lane need Superman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair, that's fair. But yeah, no, I was I was just thinking of like the the stuff you mentioned that you know that we take for granted with this film, looking at what we've gotten since, and I think the main thing which contributes to the feeling of Superman other than the nostalgia. This Superman saves people. Mm-hmm. And that 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 should be a given in 
any Superman movie, you would think. <laughs> um, but Man of Steel and Batman v Superman don't really... If your name is not Lois, good luck. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Chip, so, Jimmy Olsen gets popped, doesn't he, at the start of... I mean... That's that's a, that. I mean, we, we could talk about that for a whole other podcast, but, I don't, but we don't have time. Um, no, uh, but again. but yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. It's just looking back on it now, given what we have, it's such a thrill to see him do that when he returns. The, not only in the plane sequence, which is, I think, um, you, it, it, it's it's at it, it's at the top of every great scenes in not so great movies list for me. Um, that that sequence is incredible, um, but just I mean we 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 then sort of soon after that get the montage of him saving people sort of all all over the world. That's lovely. I think which is great, and then the to the, the top tier stuff is sort of before it's, it's in the final act where he has to really use every trick in his repertoire very quickly, very inventively against the clock as he's trying to save all the disasters that Lexus. Uh, missile has caused and that is just cool to see um a superman who does that uh, I, I also i'm on i like superman with limits like i like him having all of these powers but i don't want him to be as fast as the flash i want him to be i want him to be really fast and to be able to stop those things but i want it to feel like that because what, what I love about that sequence, and, and so for anyone who hasn't seen the film, midway through the film, Lois is imprisoned by Lex Luthor on a yacht, and she manages to get the, the message to the Daily Planet via a fax, because it's 2006. Um, <laughs> she, she faxes also, the information. I also got a kick out of the... I also got to kick out the mobile phones in this film. Yeah, I thought that. <laughs> Which, yeah, a 2006 camera phone manages yeah. to Cam take a picture of Superman phones. that's that's good that's good enough for the front cover of um, the Daily Planet. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Lois Lois has been imprisoned, and um, James Marsden, who is playing Lois's current husband, um, who James Marsden, who seemingly exists in Brian Singer movies just to get cucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> James Marsden and and Clark Kent. I, I'm calling him James Marsden because I can't remember the character's name. He's someone white, isn't he? He's Perry White's nephew. Yeah. Um, they both they both kind of see this note from Lois and go, oh, it's coordinates. Right, we need to go save her. So James Marsden's like, I'm going to fly my seaplane there because he's a pilot who flies seaplanes. Um, <laughs> just just realising it sounds very silly out of context. Um, so James Marsden runs off so he can get to his seaplane to fly to Lois and then Superman runs off and, you know, shirt off, emblem out, he's going to fly and save her. Um, but because of what Lex is doing on the boat, it causes a load of damage in um, in Metropolis. And even though he's like, right, he needs to go fly and save Lois. He's like, well, I, 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 but I need to stop all of this stuff first. So I need to stop buildings collapsing. I need to stop things falling on people. I need to save one individual from one thing. I need to, I need to stop this fire uh, from from reaching these factory workers. Um, and it's 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 lovely. It's those that that's the kind of moment that I'm like, yeah, that's that's Superman and. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean about it being it being a feeling, and I like those moments. Um, but then I'm realizing, like, it's all in service service of Lex Luthor's creating a, a continent for himself. Yeah, no, nah, his his ultimate scheme 
is ludicrous. Um, <laughs> to put it I, I sort of uh, like that because it, it takes a through line from the first movie where it's all about beachfront property. Was and the there is a one? lot of... Be- <laughs> but yeah. Yes. And there's a lot of... And, uh, you know, there's lots of nods and winks in this movie. Both Lois and Lex's mansion are beachfront properties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which I'm sure is deliberate. Um, the, the old lady Gertrude who... Lex steals the fortune from at the start <laughs> yeah. of the movie was the 1940s Lois Lane. Um, okay, and I think there's yeah. I think there's various cameos here and there from different people um, who'd appeared in Superman properties. See, over just the years. just that scene at the start that you mentioned, like that for me feels like a fun, you know, Superman movie thing that you've got like this cartoonish Lex Luthor like literally ripping off a dying pensioner. And, you know, throwing it in the face of her family on the way out. Like, I just, I really, I... It, it felt to me like, like someone was having fun with the script. And I sort of wish I more of the... it had been like that. I think the Lex stuff, and I, again, I don't know what, how, how much this is clouded, but I think the La- the Lex stuff might be a failure of Spacey. Um, that he he never really, for me lands on the lands on the the balance that hackman had between the menace and the humor he's either all menace or all humor yeah, he's never it's too he's much. never both and so like the we've got parker posey for the third time this year as the miss tessmacher replacement <laughs> kitty kowalski um and she she seems to she seems to know what she's doing tonally that she is like She's having fun as kind of the old sc- like she's got a bit of a of a like Harley Quinn Mister J vibe, right? Yeah, that, she's like a mole. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's like a gangster's mole, but she and it's and it's kind of that that delicate line between I'm silly and ditzy, but also I'm kind of scared of this dude who I can't get rid of. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, the, Spacey for me, I, I he's either he's either in full on menacing and and i find it uncomfortable watching spacey doing that now mode or or he's just playing the humor or the script is playing the humor and he's not quite embracing it i don't know whether for fear of losing the menace I don't, do you guys agree am i just am i just sour on spacey because of him <laughs> there, there are moments of you know, pure villainy, pure villainy, which um, are very impactful. Like in that final act when he's sort of stabbing Superman and whatnot. That is, you know, I think I think the kryptonite scheme is smart, but just the the land grab thing. It felt like one homage too many. Um, and there's there's you can say that about a lot of aspects of this film that I wish they would have done something a little bit more fresh rather than try to uh, sort of lean back into what worked so well in those first two movies it's just um, not it's not that visually fun either is it just the no it's a very you know the krypton recreation is very drab yeah um but hey i mean he's 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 he's, he's, he's not thinking about that he's, he's thinking about the monies he's gonna hopefully get so you know i, I can respect that to a point i guess <laughs> but there's only there's only, there's only so much you can fix up a place like that Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take us back to the start of the movie, uh, because Amon, I I know this is this is your corner. 
<laughs> it's a great score, right? Because it's John Williams Superman. But there's a there's a but here? D- well, but A is it a crutch? And B I kind of wish Singer was doing it like I No, I can't endorse this. I can't endorse this at all. Like <laughs> even as someone who isn't a big film score guy, like if it ain't no, I love if it, it it's ain't amazing. broke, don't fix it. There is no way you can improve that score. Don't don't even try. None. Z- none. Yeah. It's still. I mean, I love scores, but I particularly love superhero scores. It is still the best superhero score of all time. Still to this day, quintessential. The standard by which all other super so the standard by which all other superhero scores are measured is John Williams' Superman, and I think John Ottman who scored this and also scored um, a couple of the X-Men films. He does a really good job here of... He's a singer. He's a Brian Singer guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he does a really good job of working with Williams' score, working in Williams' style, while also adding his style and adding some of his themes to the fabric of the Superman score. There's a couple of moments which uh, sort of has original sort of music and original themes from him which really, really work. And it comes when the imagery we're getting is at its most iconic. So the moment I'm thinking of, the moments I'm thinking of, are when Superman is off in space, uh, listening to the world, seeing where he's needed. The music in that scene is fantastic. And it, and it recurs again when he heals himself uh, with the sun. Um, that, that theme, that's pure John Ottman, and that really, really works. It's also see this I is what the... this is why I wanted to ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's also I mean I I love moments like that because it's rare that you get moments of stillness like that in any superhero film, but the, those moments in particular really really work well and they're instantly iconic. Um, I love what they do with Superman's cape and just his look in the in that scene when when he's off in space with his eyes closed just listening to the world as Marlon Brando's uh, voiceover is sort of saying how sort of, you know, he's going to be an example to the world and everything. It's a really, really great scene. And the music is a big reason why. Okay. I'm going to allow that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, right? It could, like, it could be a crutch, but at the same time, what are you going to do that's better? Like, how are you going to squeeze anything more out of the idea of Superman than that theme can alone no but i mean zimmer has his moments in man of steel i think mm, yep moments yep no uh, james uh, come on now the man the of one, steel score is is great the, the one the, the, great the, the... moment where he kind of is uh, he is superman for the for the first time and is like breaking the sound barrier flying up to the sky yeah that's that's awesome yeah the track is called flight and it is spectacular <laughs> um yeah no zimmer uh he did a really really good job on that man is still score, and it's a shame that even you know, it didn't really get carried. It, 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 some some small elements of it got carried over to Batman BC from Bad, but not nearly not nearly enough. Um, it's a shame because there's, there's a lot. If you go back to that score, there's tracks like Oil Rig, uh, Flight, as I mentioned, um, and what what do we do when you're not saving the world? I think is one of the final tracks. It's really really strong stuff, but. 
John Williams, again, is still the standard by which so much work is measured, especially when it comes to superhero scores. Yeah. And if you're already leaning hard into nostalgia with the casting of Ralph and with what you're doing with Metropolis and with the sort of, you know, the sequels that you're taking inspiration from, inspiration from and everything else, it's the logical step to also take the John Williams score. And again, I, I, I really like what Ottman did in, in how he used the themes. Um, and, and how sort of little he'd used them and how much he used them at certain stages and how he worked around them. It's really, really, really strong, clever stuff. And it's a really, you know, it's, it's all the more impressive given how tricky a juggling act that must have been. But he does a really good job. It's interesting that the film starts out by really, really hitting you over the head with a, hey, this is, this is the Superman you loved before again. Um, and I don't know whether commercially that was the right approach because that was a, you know, a 30 year old franchise at that point. But, you know, we go, we get, we get the score, we get the, um, we get the Marlon Brando voiceover, we get, um, we get the, the opening sequence where we're flying through the, the universe. Um, I thought the Krypton explosion looked really cool and that it hadn't aged very much at all like i thought oh yeah that's that still looks kind of great um but then the actual opening sequence where we're flying through the planets i thought was a little bit even either star tours or microsoft screen savory <laughs> do, 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 do you know what i mean by that yeah, it's just yeah, the, yeah. the the effects yeah. just aren't aren't quite as good there it's like we spent 80 percent of the effects on the krypton explosion and then, yeah. and then the twenty percent on this. There, there is apparently, there was apparently a sequence where Superman visits the ruins of Krypton, and they actually showed it as the opening of the film. There is. I, I watched it. I watched it on the deleted oh. scenes. I'm on. I can tell you what happens. <laughs> Please do. So you know that crappy grey weird suit that he's wearing when he crashes back down. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's him in kind of this crystalline Kryptonian spaceship. Uh, and he arrives at the wreckage of Krypton and is kind of looking around and it's all, it's about five, six minutes long. It's all wordless. Uh, and then Clark starts to like realize that he's sweating and his eyeballs start to turn red <laughs> and um, and he, he starts to feel weak. And then as he gets close to this big wall, which is like this rock formation in the, in the S Superman sim- symbol shape, you start to see this green rock behind it. And that clearly all of Krypton is now toxic to him. And he has to just very quickly set in the coordinates of returning to Earth very fast. And uh, and only just escapes with his life, basically. And that's why he's so weak when he does return to Earth. Um, mm. I'm not sure with that or without it, whether the movie justifies its actual premise of Superman left five years ago because he heard something about Krypton and then he got there and it wasn't, so he came back. Do you know what? it feels it feels a little bit weak doesn't it for yeah. him to have i i i, I yeah. kept i kept expecting you know especially when I, i've probably the first time i've seen this movie in about a decade i kept expecting mm-hmm. to be like oh what's the, what's the part of the plot that i've forgotten here about the return to krypton like was there something else going on or was there something going on on earth that he he kind of couldn't face up to and kind of fled from was there something that had gone wrong um and I kind of respect, you know, in a in a hopeful Superman movie, it's just no. I was compelled to return to my home world. There was no disaster. There was nothing. There was no angst driving it. It was just 
I needed to go back. But I kind of, I kind of think that you need, you need a little bit more than that for a, yeah. for a, for it to be the concept of the movie that Superman's back. Well, where did he go? Why did he go? That's not good enough. That's yeah. not good enough for him, for the character that we knew. If you're telling me this is a sequel to those first two movies, exactly. And, it, and if the world needs, because... if the world needs Superman, doesn't Superman know that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's you're completely right, and I would add to that that Superman two ends with him, you know, with an American flag t- telling the president that he's not gonna leave again. And then apparently this is set like, you know, he, he leaves like literally two weeks after saying that for Krypton for five years. Yeah. Apparently without telling people like Lois where he's going. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> question marks. There's, a, there's I have, I have another questions. really clunky deleted scene where he's talking to Martha and Martha's like, and he's like, "Oh, I'm why did you say that name?" <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's talking to her, and he's like, um, "He's like, oh, I might stay around here and look after the farm." She's like, "Don't you have that girl back in Metropolis you want to go back to?" Martha, by the way, even Marie Saint, which uh, great, a bit random, but great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. I think she's I think she's pretty solid in the movie. Um, yeah. But um, it- yeah, she she's like, "Don't you have that Lois Lane?" I know you like her because you had me faking your signature on all those postcards you sent her over the last five years. So it's like oh. this convoluted, like, oh, yeah. you left, but you told me before you were leaving so you could give the illusion that Clark Kent hadn't gone, that he was just off travelling the world. And it's just, oh, it's just a bit. Yeah. It's one of those yeah. that you don't you don't want to think about it too much and the movie doesn't want you to think about it in, about it too much. And this is what I mean about I kind of feel like Singer is more interested in the in the in the real world analog of Superman has been gone for a long time. We yeah. want to bring I was him I was back. about to say mm-hmm. like it, it feels like he spends a lot of time on the meta narrative and not enough time on the narrative. Mm-hmm. You're just like, what well, yeah. Clark Kent left like why is he being such a dick? Why is he, why is he interfering in Lois's marriage? Like, leave him alone. Because do you mm-hmm. do you feel like you come out of this movie? And I I do agree with Amon that in that in that you know in it, it you come away from the movie going, does the world need Superman? You go, and again again you know in a post nine eleven movie you kind of do like yeah the world kind of needs these icons it needs these ideas it needs hope it, it you know it needs this idea of good of of kind of pure idealistic good just doing the right thing for people um mm-hmm. i i do agree with that i buy into that with it within the context of the movie and you know whether i whether i go like so i think the world needs characters like superman does the world need an actual superman um i don't think the movie i don't think the movie gets into that enough um other than like isn't it nice that he's here but it's not it it never goes well what was happening when he was gone because that would have been interesting wouldn't it like to answer to answer that question they do a little bit, but it's not nearly enough. I think when Clark comes back and he turns on the TV and he's flipping through the channels and he's seeing the devastation of the world and wars and whatnot, um, you know, 
that 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 type of thing is sort of getting into. But again, we we needed a, we needed a lot more. Um, and just uh, on that point of sort of Superman leaving Earth so suddenly, it actually reminded me of The Dark Knight Rises. Um, mm. In that, you know, Chris Nolan has Batman take an eight-year break uh, from being Batman because and... convenient. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not 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 convenient. See, the, the thing the thing I was going to go, which I was going to say is that Chris Nolan, you know, if if he had started off the Dark Knight trilogy doing something like that, then I'll you know be a little bit more upset about it. And I know it's definitely not something comic book Batman would do, but Christopher Nolan earned the right to make a decision like that by making Batman Begins in the Dark Knight so good, one, and because... It makes sense ma- following the, it, yeah, the last five it, minutes of the Dark Knight. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, he's, he's justified that decision. Man, uh, Superman Returns doesn't do enough to justify that decision, um, which is, you know, that's, which, which is why it, it feels so weird. Because when... Um, cause that that question of does does the world need a Superman? Um, I think actually to answer that question properly, um, I, I'm thinking of Watchmen, James. I'm thinking mm. of the way that Doctor Manhattan's treated there. Like that's that's to me how you start to you start to answer that question in a serious way. And to answer that question in a serious way, you kind of need to have a slightly cynical viewpoint, which doesn't, which doesn't really mesh with that with this movie. This movie, this movie has answered the question before it starts. Does the does the world need Superman? Yeah, yeah, it does because we like Superman and we want this movie to be all about that. There's not really a debate. There's not. It's not interesting. And I don't really, other than other than kind of positioning her as some kind of spurned lover. I'm not sure that that the movie ever really convincingly tells us that Lois believed at any point that the world didn't need Superman. No. It kind of feels like she was just lovelorn waiting for him to return. I kind of feel like let's let's talk Lois. I don't I is it Kate Bosworth has got a lot of stick for this over the years. I don't necessarily think she's bad. I just don't think she's a good match for this character. And I don't think I think Lois is Lois is the character here that is most dependent on the writing and i think the dialogue is pretty roundly poor in this film yeah not only that but i think you no know, everyone is supposed to be you know if we're talking that this is artists from superman 1 and superman 2 everyone's meant to be a little older and a little more sort of cynical and everyone is except her like kate bosworth is 22 years old when he when she made this movie, wow, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's insane. It's insane. Um, and yeah, I, I I agree in that. I don't think she herself was bad. Um, but the script which they serve her with, uh, not only with her character, but in terms of the the whole deadbeat dad of Superman and that aspect of it all, it just well, that sort doesn't mesh doesn't mesh with the film and you know i in in re-watching it it still feels so weird and so out of left field and i get what they were trying to do and the questions they were trying to ask with that because i think they are trying to sort of say like you know that that they're trying to talk about how superman 
feels unable to sort of fit in with this world, especially sort of coming back to this cynical world, wondering if he's need, wondering if if, if he can, if he still matters. And then you got this kid of this apparent love child, and they're trying to sort of, I guess, humanize Superman through that. But the manifestation of that idea and that question and that theme is just so weird. And the fact that they don't really properly resolve it in this movie as if they're you know, guaranteed to you know, get a sequel and really get into it then does not help matters either. I don't know what the I don't know what the child is. I don't know what the I don't know what the point of it is. No, I don't know what the point of Superman having a kid is. I, I know the point is if either of you have a theory, please. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> it's like Emon just said. Like he, you know, he feels like he doesn't belong anywhere, and that you know he he goes looking for his home, and his home has been destroyed, or rather for Krypton. Krypton's been destroyed. He comes back to Earth, and he doesn't really feel like he's got anything here for him either. Like the fact that he could just disappear speaks to someone who doesn't have a lot keeping him around right who's he's searching for something but then the idea is well he's got this kid so actually you know krypton has been made on earth in a way because there's this new you know there's this new life that has come from superman and that is native to earth and that is something new that's what the kid is the problem is it it works on a meta level but in the narrative, yes, so you're just it, like, yeah. how can you have a Superman who's a father? It doesn't. It doesn't work. Well, and again, I, I kind of buy that into buy into that as intention. But in the movie, this doesn't. Ralph does. Ralph Superman doesn't feel like someone who is all that conflicted. It seems like right. I'm back, and I'm pretty quickly deciding that I am going to be Superman again because that's the right thing to do. And at the end of the movie, I'm going to keep being Superman and I'm going to save this planet, even if it costs me my life, because that's the right thing to do. It doesn't feel like he's a Superman without purpose. Um, it it just feels like he's a Superman that's pining for his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, it's a very, it's a bunch of bad decisions, definitely. Yeah. And the, and the, and the kid being the, the kind of the, a, the reveal, and which, you know, I don't think it feels... Yes, it doesn't I feel have... like a reveal. Well, not, not only in terms of the reveal, but I just... Especially with this Superman being so anti-violent, the fact that the way in which it's revealed that the kid oh, yeah. has powers is when he kills a dude, and there's been... There's, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's not really any service paid to it, is just... It really doesn't work for me. Especially, like, you know, I, you know, as you know, when it comes to, especially people like Batman and Superman killing, that really is a big issue for me. Um, And the fact that they just have something like that happen and no screen time, no dialogue is really devoted to it, I think is unacceptable. Because that scene feels very tonally out of place as well leading up to that doesn't it with the the guy decided like spending a full five seconds deciding which of these blunt instruments am i going to use to bludgeon lois lane to death uh with her kind of screaming on the floor cowering while her child watches on about to see her murdered mm-hmm. um it it's an odd scene and i think there is a there is a way of showing child saves mother from danger 
without it being like the piano almost feels like it's it's singer playing it for a bit of a laugh like a bit of a like oh oh god like tension reliever the kid flung a piano hilarious um but there feels like a way of doing kid reveals powers to save mum without it being yeah murder for example and without it and with have... it without it being him having to watch his mum about to be bludgeoned to death yeah first. well like at the very least you could have had like the kid rush in using super speed and stop him like that would have been fine or freeze him yeah blow him back yeah didn't have to mm. smash him into a fucking pancake with a with a whole piano <laughs> I don't know. I think of all the aspects in this film that that don't work, the kid is the one thing where I'm like, if I was making this movie again, I would go, let's drop the kid's stuff. Because sort of part yeah. of the reason it's there as well is because it's like, oh, hey, it's an obstacle for Superman and Lois Lane because, like, you know, he can't get back together if she's a mother, right? It's not going to work. She's she's moved yeah. on. And then it's like, oh, she hasn't moved on. Actually, it's Superman's kid. And it's sort of ambiguous as to whether she knows that or whether yeah, the kid's dad knows that. that. I'm like, wait. I think the kid. I think the dad doesn't. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm like, wait. Does the does James Marsden think that's his kid? Because that is I, just. It, well, well, this is the thing. The fact that it's not resolved yeah. definitively is just. I mean, that's that's not just like a loose plot thread. That's a big theme which you've been devoting a lot of screen time to. You have to tie that up. You have to tie And the up. kid is the thing that it. Singer is going to use as the emotional resolution at the end of the movie, which I just didn't... I didn't buy into it. And there wasn't enough time... Like, I would have liked to have seen, like, even if it was just, like, a for a comedy five minutes to go, oh, Clark, can you look after the boy for a few minutes? <laughs> and, you know, you, you have a kind of, like a fun little five, ten minutes where you see Clark trying to deal with this kid and kind of, I like the moment where the kid kind of looks up at him and sees Superman on the screens like, huh. And the, like, I, mm. I like that little gag of maybe a kid would see it, especially maybe his kid would see it. <laughs> yeah. But like, mm. I, I, I'd love the idea of the two of them spending some time with each other and figuring each other out and both of them kind of going, ah, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because again, like, because Lois, whether or not she thinks that, Superman is the dad. She she definitely doesn't think that Clark is the dad. Yeah, I kind of miss as well. They have that they have that clever scene where Richard is on the verge of figuring it out, and Clark is supering, and he just turns and waves, and they're like, "Yeah, that's not Superman," which which I did enjoy. And that that feels like a good point to talk about Ralph's performance because he you know he visually has a very a very Christopher Reeve look. And I think he, I think what's most impressive is he does a good job when asked to do the to do the the kind of physical transformation of Clark Kent mm. that it would be absurd for him to be Superman. I I kind of wanted them in that moment to 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 put an even bigger pin on it. Do you know what I mean? I kind of wanted it to be something so goofy from Clark or the camera to linger on it, but they just kind of go, <laughs> nah. But I do like it, and I, li- I like what Ralph does. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Again, sorry. I, was just gonna say, I, I just... don't know if you would agree with me that I think Ralph is very good. He kind of he does the Reeve thing, but just, but just like eighty or ninety percent of the way there, he doesn't quite have that magic piece of casting that Reeve did. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. That that the, the, there's 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 a warmth. 
I think that Reeve has that Ralph doesn't quite nail. But he still embodies the character better than anybody in live action anyone since in live action anyway since Reeve. Um, I think he's really really good, and I'm glad that he got a chance to reprise the role uh, in the in on on TV. Did you watch uh, that recently? I did watch that. Yeah. How is it? Um, I, I I never got round to the crisis crossover. Yeah. Um. It has a lot of issues. <laughs> um. But Ralph wasn't one of them. His Superman was great. What's it? Um, so what is the deal with Superman? Because he has the black logo, doesn't he? So there's something different yeah. about him. Um. So. Uh. I think it was the the Joker. Um killed everyone he knew in metropolis and he wasn't able to stop it um but yeah he still sort of you know carried on being superman i think that's the world in which um the supermen or, or in which the character the more regular characters that we know so they come and visit him in his universe and that's the story that he tells them so um, so basically it's still it's still all of these characters that we meet in this movie are dead the Joker killed them. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit, that's yeah. dark. Even his son. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> but, but but yeah. I mean, cause I remember around that time when Crisis was airing, we were getting the news to the headlines that Warner Brothers don't think that Superman can work in the modern day setting, and the clips of Ralph Superman in the Crisis series were used to refute that, and rightfully so. Um, because he still embodied the character and that hope that you should feel when you see Superman on screen, you feel that come through when Valt is playing Superman on screen in a way that, for me, you don't feel all the way when it came when it comes to Henry Cavill on screen. And that's not to, that's that's, that's not that, that's less than indictment on, on Henry Cavill, yeah. that, and more than it is on you know, the the script for those movies. Because um, I've always said that if Henry Cavill gets good, good, a good screenplay to work with, he can yeah. be a really great Superman. He just unfortunately hasn't gotten that yet. I kind of, um, I kind of feel like you could drop Henry Cavill into this movie, and it wouldn't be the same movie because it wouldn't be the same kind of like Reeve Donner homage. But I feel like you could drop Cavill into this movie, and he'd probably give a better performance than Brandon Routh because I think he's a slightly better actor. Um, and I think his Superman has more shades to it than Ralph's does. Um, but yeah, but I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not sure he could do the, because we've not seen it. I'm not sure what the mild mannered Clark Kent from Cavill would look like. Right. <laughs> it would remind right. me of his uh, yeah. Sherlock Holmes, his mild mannered super jacked Sherlock Holmes. I did. I did sort of like actually that uh, Ralph in this movie is like. He's not like super fucking jacked. He just looks like a normal person to some extent. Like mm-hmm. I think I feel like Superman works best when he's not, like built for fucking things up. When he does look like a normal person who could blend in, and it's just like, his powers come from his innate physiology. It's not that he has huge muscles. Like, he's not a walking slab of me. I really enjoyed that about the visual of Ralph. And, like, he works in the suit for that reason. Like Right, let's talk about the suit. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Here's my main issue with the suit, which um, I don't 
dislike in general. But if you take a look at the Superman Returns poster, which when you look at it, I'm not I'm not sure if the Superman's Re- Returns poster is is Brandon Ralph or whether it's Christopher Reeve. Like it genuinely looks <laughs> like it could be it could be Christopher Reeve, and I don't know. Um, but the 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 striking visual on that is the flowing red cape. His cape isn't red enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's genu- that's genuinely my gripe. His cape isn't red. Oh, Joe. <laughs> hey, this don't, like don't talk about basketball problems. Suits, Joe. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> do you like? Do you guys like the costume? It's better than Man of Steel. Yeah, it, I, it's I... iconic. Well, not well, iconic. Yeah. It's the iconic version of of the Superman suit. Like, it's not got the Man of Steel like post modern no underwear version it's like it's just what i want a superhero to look like it looks cartoonish yeah, yeah. fair enough mm-hmm. i like the suit um just as a, just as an aside i like that it made a brief cameo in the smallville finale although i would have liked to have seen a full body shot of tom welling actually in the suit oh, is that not a cgi shot is that the one they use away. they use the superman returns one yeah 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 the superman returns suit interesting uh, for smallville did he get Somebody to say <laughs> did he get to wear it in when he turned up in crisis tom welling or did he still not wear i was suit? hoping well yeah uh, wow you really didn't you really didn't watch crisis or read anything no. about it did you? <laughs> well, i just like that i mean <laughs> I did, I did, Amal, but as we've, as we've discussed, I'm a, 30, I'm a 30-something-year-old man, and my memory is not what it was. I know so, he was in so it. Tom, so Tom Welling's Clark Kent has given up his powers um, oh. in Crisis, and he is now living a happy life with Lois. So when Lex comes to kill him, uh, he fails, because obviously Kryptonite has no effect <laughs> on him. Um, so yeah, oh, that's, that's what happens that's with him. His world does not need a Superman. <laughs> Evidently. It just I mean, I, I I mean it's it's a really great scene and it works. Just for me as a Smallville fan who, you know, did have dreams of seeing potentially three Superman in three different super suits on screen at the same time. It was a little bit of a bummer for me. <laughs> and I know, you know give, how give the fans what they and, want. I, and I know how much how how many trials that that version of Clark had to go through to earn that mantle and become Superman and earn that super suit, um, and so to not even to see a little bit of that in live action was a bit of a bummer. I will say that they did do a Smallville comic series um, for for a little while after the show ended, and that comic series is really 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 great because the show ends with Clark. You know, finally becoming Superman, and we get a good amount of Clark Supermaning in that world on the page, and that's really cool to see. I was just hoping to see a little bit of that in live action, but didn't get it. Yeah, can't have everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so Ralph in the suit, as I've said, it's a bit too maroon for me, uh, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I like it. Um, and I'll tell you what I really like, and I feel like we should devote a solid 25 to 30 minutes of this podcast on this. Um, so I need all of your hot takes. His his little kiss curl on his forehead. That little curl of hair that's always there when you Superman. Mm, chef's kiss. Love it. Give me more of that. Yeah. Give me the spin-off of the kiss curl. <laughs> 
would watch. Um, but yeah, no, I I like it too. It's very classic Superman, and again, there's so much of what they're doing in this film is classic Superman. So why not add the curl too? I like it. Yeah, I got nothing against it. <laughs> I once had an idea for um, a children's TV show that would have been about a time traveling mustache, um, who who kind of grew on the faces of different famous people throughout history and and whilst whilst famous historical events were going on you were following the narrative of just the mustache um and i feel like i don't know that made that that superman's kiss curl spin-off made me think of that i Maybe thought I'll you were gonna say it. that you want to do one where they uh, the one that goes to henry Ca- henry cavill's face yeah well i mean that's an episode Ruins justice league yeah <laughs> You, you, Joe. Imagine going through that episode where he finds out that he's going to be removed digitally. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you've missed your calling, man. If this if this podcasting doesn't work out, you you know you know what you got to do. Yeah, I had a theme tune and everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just one sort of thing. I mean, I I mentioned it when we were talking about Spider Man a little bit, but just I. I love the the elegance and the beauty of Superman in flight in this film. Yeah. And again, it's just, you know, as much as I love that flight sequence in Man of Steel, it just feels a little more aggressive and angry in that movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the, the flight in Superman Returns feels like the way Superman should fly on screen. And I like I the I like the moment where he... Which you know this this scene is pure um, original Superman Donna Superman homage, where he takes Lois for the flight, but the the I love the the kind of the shorthand for the intimacy between those two characters that is <laughs> instantly revived of her just slipping off her shoes and standing. Right, on his feet. I was watching that scene, going like, "Oh, this is a sex scene." Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is yeah, a. This is a. <laughs> this is a Quentin Tarantino wet dream, um, but I, but do you know what I, I I do really like that. Like I said, it is it is like a sex scene, and it does feel like she's cheating on. This is why I said about like Brian Singer just loves to cook James Marsden because it really does feel like she is committing adultery in that scene. Yeah, that she's kind of even when she gets back, he's like, "Where have you and been?" And she's like, "Nowhere, lo- nothing." And- and her hair is ruffled as if yeah, she's right? just been in the in the closet mm-hmm. having a quickie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I I, well, then, I really like the moment then, that she steps on his feet and he's taken off and she hasn't realised. Mm-hmm. And it's just and and that kind of for me is like that that most of the flying in this movie that it just feels like something really natural and actually what which I quite like is a contrast to. The, the Donna movies where that movie it's like you believe a man can fly and in this one it's like we don't even want you to bat an eyelid well, and the and the uh, Snyder stuff where it's like he can't take off without a fucking sonic boom or causing an earthquake or something mm-hmm. like there's no lightness there at all whereas in this it is just like floating yeah sorry I'm on you were about to say something no um I was just going to say that they you know, you're talking about sort of adultery. They almost kissed when 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 they land mm-hmm. at the end of that sequence, and um, and they and they fly past her, past her beachfront <laughs> yeah, property, don't house. they? And yeah. you see yeah. her having that kind of that glance. Um, again, I kind of I kind of wish it's something that they did more with, and 
I kind of wanted after like Superman swoops in and saves them from the ship and and pulls the ship out of the uh, you know the water coming in and grabs them and Marsden has that kind of you know you can tell this kind of like emasculating moment where he has to reach out his arm and and grab onto Superman and I yeah. I kind of wanted the direct reverse when they swoop down to save to save Superman from when he's drowning. Mm-hmm. And and you don't quite get it. And I thought that scene was kind of clumsy as well because the kids spot Superman down there and you're like, all right, okay, so is this going to be like, he's the only one that can spot him because of his powers? Because otherwise it feels a bit convenient that they're just flying and like, oh, can you randomly see? We, obviously we would assume that, yeah, that's Superman bobbing around in the water down there because he's dying. Because everything that we know about Superman suggests that he might be dying right now rather than he's just handily <laughs> taking care of Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um, yeah. The kid spots him, and then, like, uh, Lois is like, oh, yeah, no, you might be right. And then Marsden's like, yeah, yeah, I've seen him. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you've all seen him? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that easy. Yeah. And then they, and then when they do swoop down, I wanted Marsden to have that moment, but it's another movie where Singer does him dirty. Yeah. Uh, more James <laughs> Please Bond. stay away from my girl, please. I, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I was recently doing an Empire pod where I said that I would be, you know, they're, they're bringing X Men back. I would, I would be absolutely fine if Kevin Feige signs him up to play Cyclops again. <laughs> what do you I mean again? He's per- he hasn't done it at all yet. Until uh, uh, there you go, because um, I think he's perfect for that role. He just never got the chance to really be the leader of that SWAT, of that squad in a really effective way. And I could totally see Marsden being the guy to do that. So I feel like we fingers crossed. I feel like we talked about Marsden on the podcast before, probably when we were doing the X-Men episodes, but that's kind of his career. Like every time you think this is the break for Marsden or this is the this is the project that will be a natural fit, it just it just doesn't end up working out. And he like he is a charismatic, handsome leading man who um, kind of works across different genres. And I remember, like, when he got cast in Westworld, thinking, "All right, well, he's he's kind of retreated to TV, but it sounds like he's going to be one of the main guys here." And it t- <laughs> it turns out, and it's mild spoiler alert for the premiere episode of. Uh, Westworld, but it kind of it's like Anna. He's the character that just gets reset every episode, and whilst other characters yeah. have this kind of awakening narrative, he's just the the boring cowboy. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a series that got heavily retooled. And I don't think the idea was that you will be the most static character on this TV show, <laughs> but ultimately that's how it worked out. <laughs> boring yeah. cowboy is definitely his entire career. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now back to sort of. Mementos, and you know, I I just come back to the feeling this film left me with, and we've spoken a little bit about it earlier. But you know, we we have sort of recently gotten those comments from the people that Warner Bros. that we don't know how to make a Superman movie work in this modern age. And you know, in two thousand six, this movie proved that we still need Superman, and in twenty twenty, we still could really use a great Superman movie, um, and we haven't really fully gotten that since when 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 did superman 2 come out 1982 mm. um so 
Yeah, I just you know when I, you know when I, Shazam came out. Emma, what 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 are your thoughts on Shazam? By the way, I liked it. I didn't love it. I thought that it sacrificed too much of the heart for jokes at too uh at, at just yeah I, I, I sacrificed too much heart for too many jokes too often um, you see I, and i don't necessarily I, I don't necessarily disagree with that but i kind of feel like that that is a movie that would work a whole lot better and, ha- and would have a lot more to play with in a world where dc had made a traditional super uh, traditional superman movie absolutely absolutely um and yeah it's just a damn shame that they haven't managed to nail that character on the big screen i say on the big screen because i think on the small screen they've actually done a lot of great things with that character um Dean i you know <laughs> it, uh, why why did you go and have to say that guy's name <laughs> listen that, he I, was idiot, fine I know he's I know he's a douche, but on the on, on the scale of things, we're discussing a Brian Singer movie starring Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Dean Cain Dean is merely a guy whose political views I disagree yeah. with, which you know that's that's a, to, to say to say disagree is a very is a, is a very mild word. Yeah, um, but 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 yeah, um, I was thinking more of Tom Welling in Smallville. I was thinking more of Melissa Benoist as Supergirl. The ideals and the tenets of Superman are really effectively portrayed mm. in those shows. Um, and they do show that those ideals, even in today's world, which is, you know, even more cynical than it was, I think, in 2006, um, Su- Superman and Supergirl and, and, and those characters still matter. If they can do that on the big screen in a big way, then the reaction to art like that i think will be huge um they just need and, and i think they've got some of the pieces in place already to do that they just need the biggest piece to, to get it right which is the screenplay and we haven't sort of seen that yet um, i kind of feel like so they're that. now being held back by what's happened with the snyder cut and again this is not a, this is not a comment on the snyder cut itself but mm. i kind of feel like to with with Superman and Batman in particular, I mean, I, I guess they've gone fresh reboot with Batman, but with with Superman, there just doesn't seem to be any. There was there was rumors at some point, wasn't there, that there would be a Man of Steel two with Henry Cavill. I remember Matthew yeah. Vaughn being linked and thinking, I like Matthew Vaughn, but uh, that's no, that's not the movie I want to see. I don't want to see a I don't want to see a Matthew Vaughn take on Superman. Um, I want to see a Macquarie take on Superman. Yeah, and, that could and, work. And, and he, we we already know that he works well with, um, with Cavill and so, what what Tom Cruise <laughs> recast Tom Cruise Superman. <laughs> no, nah, he's too small. Um, but <laughs> disagree. But um, <laughs> he, the, the 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 extensions and the and the boots that you have to sort of <laughs> wear to play that character um be very uncomfortable for him. He can, but, he um, can use Thetans as as boosters. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i i would love to see that day. all i'm saying is that yeah i i would love i would kill for a good superman movie i right think now. Um, genuinely I think, I, think like, I think it is fucking nonsense for anyone to say like oh we don't know how to make superman work like the it's like saying you don't know how to make sherlock holmes work it's fucking nonsense he's an archetype yeah like 
it's so it's not, so not only that, he's... to to make a Superman story work that works because people have been doing it for like eighty solid years. And not only that, not, not, not only that, James, but Superman is an immigrant from right? another world whose whose arch nemesis right? is a billionaire. Like, I mean, what? it's right there, people. It's right there. <laughs> could not there. be more spoon-fed to you how to make a relevant Superman movie. It's just, it's nonsense that they haven't. I'm going to say yeah, something, I, actually, I, that I... Um, Joe Quesada once said that is in relatively poor taste but also applies is once he was talking about how like in a way doing Marvel comics is like being the underdog. And what he specifically said was something like, you know, I think DC comics constantly underperform. It's ridiculous. They're outselling that Marvel is outselling DC. They've got Superman and Batman. It's, it will be like having, being a porn star with the biggest dick in the industry and not being able to get it up. (laughs) <laughs> like it's indelicate but it is also true because like yep. Superman is the superhero if you can't make a Superman movie work like what the fuck is everyone else doing and I just I can't see how you can look at what Marvel have done over the past 10-12 years and, and not think especially with Captain America well, with, with Captain America, with Black Panther, with Spider-Man who are all I would say fundamentally hopeful um doing the right thing superheroes that aren't aren't particularly broadly morally conflicted. I know they've they've had arts for for some of those characters where they have been. But you know like there is there is a route to doing that. Um and I think you could I think that the potential with with Superman as well is that you know we're talking we're talking about a character that despite having the longest history on the screen had the Reeve versions which you know his his character is the dominating force in all of those so they all feel kind of a piece this one replicates it and then the the Snyder ones outside of a pocket of rand, rabid fandom don't particularly work for people so you've got you've got one version that worked and one version that that broadly didn't there's so there's 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 a lot of scope for doing something different that still retains those core tenets of superman i think is you know he's mm-hmm. i think I, I think there is immense potential and and what you said then about you know that that angle in 2020 about being an immigrant in America. And, you know, you could take the central question of this movie, does the world need Superman? Um, you, you you could ask that question through a contemporary lens um, and, and do some really interesting stuff with it. And I think some of the, some of my favorite comics that I've been recommended over the course of this podcast were Superman comics. Like, uh, mm-hmm. um, is it, is it, um, I forget. All Star Superman was Superman was I think was my favorite. Yeah, that's a good one. Was my favorite. I liked. Uh, is it is it Birthright? What's the one where it's like you pick up with Superman like in different decades throughout his life? Birthright. Yeah, birthright. Yeah, yeah. Is that Birthright? I, I really enjoyed that. And the, the the different takes on Superman, the different takes on that story. Um, you know, even if you do go complete, I know there was rumors that they were going to do Red Sun at some point. Um. <laughs> I don't know if that's just an animated movie for it. 
but I, I don't know if necessarily that's the, that's the way they should go with a you know to, to be a studio tentpole yeah, Superman story. Either. I don't think. But I think yeah. you can. I think you can look. You can look at that character through different lenses. Um, and like I say, I think I think Watchmen kind of d- does it through a more cynical lens. And um, yeah, I, 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 as far as I'm concerned, the possibilities are endless. I, like the... I don't. I don't want something that feels just like this again. But I, but like, like Superman Returns. But I think there's there are there are enough core elements in here of what makes a good big screen Superman story that you know lessons can be learned about what are the good things in this and what what are the things that that you avoid like potentially all of the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, the dialogue isn't even like, bad. It... It's just it's not. It's not memorable. Like it's used, it's used yeah. sparingly, and when it is used, it's used badly. Yeah. That's my, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my problem. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think this just goes to show you how, if you get the core beats of Superman right, it just you're it's it's it's, it's more than half the battle when it comes to. Yeah movies like this because I think a lot of the window dressing in Man of Steel is actually really really good like I think there's a conversation to be had about which costume is better between Man of Steel and Superman <laughs> Returns um, I think that uh, I, I, I like I like the play white I like the I like aspects of the Daily Planet um, there, there's a lot about that film which works but because the core aspect, the core tenets of Superman aren't fully realized in that film, it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth whenever I think about it, whenever I watch it. This movie, Superman Returns, has a lot of problems. But the most important thing about a Superman movie is if you get the core tenets, the core ideals, if you impart a level of understanding of that character to the audience. And Superman Returns does that in a bigger way to me than anything in the Snyderverse that I've seen so far. I don't want to rewatch it, but I liked watching it. That's that's where I, yep. that's where I came out of it. I I it didn't feel like two hours and twenty minutes. I kind of I, I I and I got I got enough of the right buttons pushed whilst not whilst coming out thinking I don't ultimately think that's a good movie. I will happily rewatch the plane sequence, which we which we haven't really talked about in any talk detail. But I'll happily rewatch the plane sequence every now and then because I think it's just yeah a beautifully paced and spectacular sequence to watch. It's um, the standout action sequence in the movie, definitely. Absolutely, it might be the standout uh, you know, action sequence in live action Superman history period. To be honest, um, you know, and you know, I. Love, you know, obviously the the classic Superman sort of Reeve um, movies, but in terms of action, yeah, because of the limitations of the technology at the time, they are, you know, they they they, they look dated. Superman Returns yeah. was fourteen years ago. That plane sequence looks like it could have been made in twenty twenty. It's sensational, um, and it will be it will continue to be that way for another decade or so at least um if 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 not more so yeah the the, so, the only the only, <laughs> the only thing that i that i don't love about that sequence is um 
is how it treats Lois. <laughs> Again, just having yeah. a having a thrown around the plane, and then the moment where she faints at the end, I think, is such a is such an undercutting of that character. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I don't know if again it's singer riffing on maybe a moment with Margot Kidder or I don't know. But can I? It, it doesn't work. Can I just check an idea out here? Because like part of the problem I had with watching this film in the light of everything we know about singer, right, is that when so much stuff happened, I was like, is this bad because singers like just such a horrible person? that he thinks this is acceptable. Like, I had real problems trying to deconstruct his character. So when, like, Lois has no agency, I was just, like, sitting there going, well, does she have no agency because she's Lois Lane or because Brian Singer thinks this is fine? And <sighs> so, so, part I, I... Of, so the follow-up to that is, part of what I think should happen is that the next Superman movie should be given to a woman to direct. Because I think that yeah. would be a really interesting Ooh. perspective and probably solve the problem of Lois Lane in these movies, which is that she is like the like literal just damsel in distress. And that would be very interesting. I'd love to see right? that. And because I, I would I would make the argument that as much as as much as I don't love Lois in this movie, I think I prefer the character to Amy Adams' version. And I, and I think Amy Adams is a you know spectacular actress who should have won a couple of Oscars maybe. Um, but I just think her her Lois is nothing. Um, and I, I just I never believe her. I don't think she's got any chemistry with Henry Cavill. I it just ne- never 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 works for me in 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 the course of her three appearances. Um, but this Lois doesn't work either. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that Brian Singer is necessarily like malicious with every core of his being. He's obviously accused of some pretty horrendous stuff. And I think professionally what happened on Bohemian Rhapsody has kind of given him this reputation as, um, you know, an unprofessional guy who shirked on a project midway through, um, and is pretty erratic due to his lifestyle away from the set. Um, I did read that that at one point in making this movie, he did disappear. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting, because what what I was going to say, which which maybe completely (laughs) contradicts that, is I I, I get the impression of him on this movie as, you know, he walks away from the X-Men franchise to make this. He'd made the first two X-Men movies, but was super passionate about making this. And I think he really did care, and I think he cared about the character, and I think he cared about, you know bringing superman back kind of feels like a bit to me like jason siegel with the muppets like part of it is just i want to get superman back and i want to do it the right way and i want to do this because i feel like i'll do it better than someone else and uh, yeah the 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 rest of the stuff that comes with singer is grim i don't think his intentions were bad on this movie i think he is um with, with the movie itself I just think, obviously, you know, what we now know, what he's been accused of, um, both professionally and personally, is pretty hard to shake. But for me, it didn't it didn't come into it nearly as often as it did with Spacey, who 
because <laughs> spacey yeah. is in your face the whole thing i mean it does people say like oh you don't have to cancel actors because of what happens in the in their personal life or whatever it just i don't see how you could possibly watch a kevin spacey performance and not be thinking about everything that came out about him like it makes him unfit for mm-hmm. purpose like for anyone who knows that stuff or has followed that stuff this is just this is the first time i've seen to, to separate this is the first time we've seen a spacey performance. I think the yeah, type too. of performing, the type of perfor- oh sorry, the first time we've seen a Kevin Spacey performance since, since that, the yeah. allegations. Um, mm-hmm. Consciously, I've avoided rewatching or watching movies for the first time that he stars in uh, because I've I, I anticipated it being difficult, um, and 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 it is difficult. It did affect things. Mm-hmm. Um, it did affect the way I watched him, but I don't. I kind of don't feel like that about everyone who has had different you know has been revealed as part of the me too movement i i don't feel that i don't find it impossible to watch stuff that's come from certain people um yeah not everyone does and i think that's fine for me personally like i just i can't not think about it and it it does no and it's the movies for me and it is, I think, with different people as well. It's the scale and the seriousness of the of the allegations. Um, and you know, with, with Spacey it, again, there's there's some there's some people where you're like, there's there's no wiggle room here. The the it 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 feels completely undeniable. There's no there's no yeah. there's no there's no space for debate with Kevin Spacey where there might be with some other people. Um, you know, yeah. a studio a studio is not going to hire Kevin Spacey to appear in another film where, you know, they they might with other people who've been, you know, I don't know, like a Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's not just the level of, the level of allegations, but I still remember the really, really, really creepy videos you just oh, randomly released, which just like the lack the I lack mean, of remorse. Yeah, didn't he did when he just really didn't creepy he? and he did weird. He did two yeah, he did two in character. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a reason. Ironically, it's a reason we avoided covering this movie mm-hmm. for as long as we did. Yeah. Um, there was there was definitely a feeling at certain points that we were like, I mean, X Men: The Last Stand was one because there's the yep. there's the singer and Ratner of it, mm-hmm. um, and then there was this where we we're like well singer and spacey and we t- we talked about it and i remember seb in particular being like ah, let's just not right now no one wants to spend the entire no i don't want to watch that movie right now and i don't want to spend two hours having because you can't you can't discuss a kevin spacey movie now without talking about how that performance makes you feel and it made me feel icky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah, ironically, I did a podcast on Seven uh, a few days ago, so I had to rewatch that movie as well. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've had my fill of space this last mm. week or so. But yeah, it's annoying. Like you know, Baby Driver was one of my favorite films of the past sort of three years or so. I have not been back since all the spacey stuff came to light, and that's a damn shame um, because there's so much about that film that I love. But I think part of the reason why this was just about doable for me is because in both of these films, Spacey's playing an unabashed villain, um, 
Whereas Baby Driver, I'm not sure if, you, if you, either of you guys have seen it, but yeah. that's not entirely the case. Um, and I think that that watch in particular uh, will be a bit tough if and when I choose to go back. Fortunately, I'm on. I um, have no desire to ever watch Baby Driver. <laughs> yeah, <again>. same. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't yeah, like it? I, I, I aggressively yeah, dislike I'm, Baby Driver. I am in wow! Joe there. The editing in that movie, man. You know how I love video editing. <laughs> the editing in that movie is amazing. Ed- but I just, I just increasing that it's not editing and it was all done in camera. Uh, for- well, no, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about that aspect of it. I'm talking about just the syncing of the scenes to. The beats yeah, yeah, and he, music he and so that's, that, that that's, happened in camera. My my problem with Edgar Wright yeah, has okay, increasingly that. throughout his career become. Um, by the way, guys, do you know how cool my iPod is? I've got some I've got some really niche tracks on there. Let me uh, <laughs> let me let, let me roll them out at just the right my time. My problem with uh, Edgar yeah, Wright has become like, <laughs> hey, do you know women exist too, right? And well, he's yeah, like, that's, oh, there's probably that's... some women somewhere, but we don't want them in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us to listen to the Edgar Wright podcast. <laughs> hey, we might do that at some point. We might yeah, to... <laughs> Edgar Wright was one of my one of my favourite directors early in his career, and I would say almost <laughs> almost exactly I've liked every film he's done a little bit less than the one before throughout his career. Uh, we should definitely do that. Oh. <laughs> right, okay. Any any final thoughts on Superman Returns before we wrap up? Apart from, I mean, obviously, apart from his maroon cape. <laughs> obviously. Um, just going through my notes. One yeah, second. I'm trying to think what we haven't talked about that we could could go with. Um, just quickly, I will throw out. I I really liked the scene where he caught the the planet off the Daily Planet. Yes, I think that so of, if we're talking about iconic Superman moments, like Superman metaphorically but also literally saving the world, great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so much iconic imagery in this movie, like that scene, like him getting healed by the yeah. sun, like when, like, like when he's in space, <laughs> space floating, Jesus, yeah. listening to the world. Yeah, and you know, a lot of it is very, you know. Christ-like, mm-hmm. I guess. I know they really sort of go heavy on it in the final minutes of the film. Well, and that's but and that's it, Donna's movie, isn't it? The first Superman is a the first hour yeah. is a is a Messiah story. Yeah, but a lot of it feels less Christ-like and just pure Superman. And mm. that moment that James is speaking of is definitely one of those moments. Um, and again, the 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 choice when it comes to the score in that moment as well the rendition of the superman thing we get is not big and brash it's sort of very delicate and light but still very impactful um and i really like that too okay i will just mention one more scene which um which contrast i'm on i did not like um i don't, <laughs> i don't like the flashback to young superman because uh the seed to, to young clark kent running through the cornfields like theresa may um <laughs> i <laughs> I didn't. I didn't love the uh, the the CG on the jumping um, Hulk. This yeah. is not. And then I found it so weird that young Clark Kent looks a lot less like Brandon Routh and a lot more like uh, Brian Singer. Like Brian Singer. He really yep, looks like too. Brian Singer. <laughs> it really does. Oh, I didn't like yeah. it. And weird. yeah. And it and it and it yeah. feels a bit 
out of place at that point in the movie. I think it's supposed to be Superman looking back, uh, thinking back and being like, oh, I remember when I discovered my powers for the first time and I kind of, it, it giving him that little jolt of becoming Superman again. But it doesn't, I don't think it really plays in the movie. And that's from the, from the deleted feels- scenes that I watched on the DVD. That's where a lot of them came out was early on and around um, Kansas. Yeah, no, it feels very unnecessary. It feels like it should have been a deleted scene, to be honest. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I agree, I agree with you on that one. James, have you got anything? Uh, no, I, my Superman saving the planet was the, the only bit that we hadn't already covered, and now we have. Brilliant. Okay. Guys, we came. We crushed it. <laughs> we've, talk- <laughs> we've talked about <laughs> Superman's return, and... Um, and uh, We've now covered all of the Superman movies on the podcast, I think. Yeah, until they make any new ones. Have you? Have you though? Have you? Have you? Co- have you covered the animated stuff? No, the no. We've we've covered all the theatrical movies. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. The, 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 I think. What one? One actually. One of the one of the interesting things that I probably didn't talk about in that early history of how this movie got to the screen was. In the early nineties, you have Lois and Clark being the thing that carries the carries the torch for Superman while the movie can't get made. And in the early two thousands, you've got Smallville carrying the torch on TV where the movie can't get made. But in the late nineties, it's the animated stuff, and that animated stuff is legitimately a huge success. And like the 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 Superman of the Justice League cartoons is for that generation of kids who grow up is Superman. Joe, I'm so, so, so very happy you brought this up. Oh, it's like, it's like all my, all, 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 all my animation suggestions are finally, oh, oh, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. But yes, you are completely correct. Um, the Justice League animated series, which I have gone on record many times as saying is the best super animated show of all time, um, has a great Superman, uh, in in that series and the way that he evolves um not only as the animators get better at depicting his powers but just as a character is really really cool and you know and i've said this before as well but just the relationship that superman and batman have on that animated series and that animated universe is just phenomenal and it just it's, it's one of the things that makes me that made me so upset watching Batman v Superman because I know what this relationship can look like um, because I've seen it in the animated series um, and I just wish that we could transpose that to live action and I've said you know to others that you know if I were in charge of Warner Brothers and we were talking about making a, a Batman film or a Superman film anybody who I would be looking to hire I would just give them the Justice League Blu-ray Go away for a month, watch this, come back to me, and then we'll talk. Because I want you to put that in live action. If you put that in live action, within two films, the DCEU will be maybe not just as popular as the MCU, but they'd be a lot closer, extremely quicker, in in, an extremely quick fashion. Because the connection that that show gives you to those characters, and especially to Superman and Batman, is really really special and really really powerful. And are you? Um, are you? It sounds like you would keep Cavill. 
I would keep Cavill because again, I think that there is a good Superman movie starring him in, you know, it, it, it's, I could see it, it's definitely a possibility. See, I agree. Or, I just or, think, I or, think there or, was a good Superman movie starring him and now I think like Pattinson, just, just give us a fresh start. Because I, all, all the problems I have with Superman, none of them are Henry Cavill. I think he's a really good actor and in the movies, in the other movies that I've seen him in, in stuff like The Man from Uncle, in stuff like Mission Impossible Fallout, it only sort of makes me think that this guy could really, he could pull this off. He just needs the right script to do it. Mm. Um, and it just hasn't materialized for him, which is a big, big bummer. Um, I, 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 I don't necessarily disagree in certain respects when it comes to giving it a clean slate because it, it's hard now given what has happened with his Superman to reconcile any future Superman, no matter how right they get it, with the Superman we've seen previously on screen. Um, because we've seen a Superman who's willing to kill. Um, we've seen, you know, a Superman who sort of hasn't really, you know, changed in that regard from movie to movie. Like, you know, Man of Steel ends with Superman killing. The first the first thing that happens in Batman v Superman is Superman killing. Um, so, you know, just, just saying that just makes me shake my head. Like, how right. in the hell did we get there? Um, but, um, but I still think if they play their cards right, and again, it's all, it's all, it's all, 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 all comes down to the screenplay. If you do a good screenplay, I think even even me being me and you know, having the opinions that I have on those movies, I I I would be forgiving if the film really hit the spot and really really did it right. Um, but that's a big big if when it comes to a Superman in live action right now, unfortunately. Whereas I would bring Nicolas Cage back. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would. I want Nicolas Cage back as Spider-Noir. Yeah. Like, I know I know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, you know all these other Spider-Man coming in uh, for Spider-Man 3. Bring a live action Nicolas Cage Spider-Noir to the MCU. And Peter Parker. That I want to see. And Peter Parker. And Peter Parker. <laughs> yes. Give me that. I'd love him as a CG animated guy. Like, fully, fully 3D. Like. <laughs> I would watch the yeah, hell out of that. Brilliant. Oh, and, and equally more Nick Cage as Teen Titans Superman. That was good as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> More Nick Cage and everything. Yeah, that's what. Apart from the straight to DVD shit, he's <laughs> actually spending his I don't time know. making. Did you see the trailer for Jujitsu? Don't tell me like that they don't want to watch that. No, movie. there's there's a few, and it, there's a movie that he's coming. He's got coming up called Pig, I think, which sounds actually quite interesting. Um, wow. I don't know, Cage man. What what an interesting dude. I saw him up close once. His hair is magnificent. It doesn't look like it adheres to any of the laws of physics. Um, Amon, <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us for this Superman Returns discussion. Um, and and congratulations again at your uh, your new editorial position at Empire. That is absolutely fantastic. Um, I look forward to reading your regular column. Is there anything else that you would like to plug other than just the, the sweet, sweet pages of Empire magazine? <laughs> um, I have a column of sorts... Uh, at NME um, so you can find some of my work there um, I also uh, over the last sort of two three months or so I've been doing a lot of work for a relatively new outlet called Composer Magazine 
Um, as you <laughs> might have guessed, I'm a big sort of a nerd for film scores. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's been really, really good to do. I actually just spoke to Daniel Pemberton this week, who obviously did the score for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Birds of Prey, among others. One of the best composers working today. Um, so, yeah, you can find uh, a lot of my work there, too. Lovely stuff. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode, then you can find more and subscribe on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. You can find everything we do at cinematicuniverse.com. You can find our merch at cinematicu.redbubble.com. And if you want to get in touch, then you can hit us up on Twitter at cine underscore verse or with an email to podcast at cinematicuniverse.com. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon. Uh, so look us up there. And once again, thanks for listening, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.